Hey, hey, and g'day. Hi, everyone, and welcome or welcome back. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to listen in from wherever and whenever you're doing so. I'm Darren, and this is another edition of My Guest List Pod, the show where the guests on my list get to have some fun with their favorite list countdowns, and we get to know them and their work a little better. If you would like to contact me or have a suggestion for the show, you can find me at My Guest List Pod pretty much everywhere you look. So today for Season 2, Episode 18, I have a lengthy but enjoyable chat with a podcast host whose show revolves around chatting with other podcast hosts, an exemplary podcast format, if I do say so myself. Uh, Martin Quabell hosts the show Pods Like Us, and in our chat, we delve into the origins of his show, the experiences he has had while doing the show, and some of the other passions in his life. We did have some audio issues with Zoom, and the show's recording also coincided with the death of my last podcasting laptop. As such, there were some dropouts when saving the file. However, I have fortunately been able to keep the continuity and integrity of the discussion intact, so it should be all good. The other good news is I have bought a new laptop and gone the SSD route, which has halved the time for the compiling of show audio. I should have upgraded much earlier. Anyway, today's show is a long one, so no more from me. Sit back and relax and enjoy some Pods Like Us goodness and see what you think of Marv's list. It's a very interesting collection of music. So, as I have said many times before, one of the best parts of doing a podcast is the people that you meet along the way. It's part of why I began my show in the first place, and the person I have as a guest today exemplifies all that is good about indie podcasts and podcasting in general. Martin Marv Quibell is the host of Pods Like Us, a show dedicated to exploring and promoting other people's work and generally supporting podcasters in whatever way he can. Martin is a gentleman podcaster who makes his guests feel at ease and produces a quality product in each episode. It is my honor to welcome Marv onto my personal guest list and onto my guest list pod. Good morning slash evening. Yes. Uh, good morning to you. How's things? I'm okay. And uh, good evening slash night to yourself. Yes. it's. Uh, we've just had a uh, tropical storm roll through Melbourne uh, with golf ball sized hailstones and uh, it's been 30 plus degrees and I've just turned off the air conditioner upstairs, and that may have to come back on soon, but we'll we'll see how we go before everything overheats. But uh, I dare say you're not in the same shape over there at going into winter. Yes, winter. Yeah, we uh, we had snow the other the other day, about three inches or so. Already? Hmm. Yeah. Already. I see. Which is funny because I, I drove all the way to work, and there was not no sign of it whatsoever. They they had none. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so uh, it's a bit like our storms here. It can be raining in one suburb and not the other. Very localised. So how you been, Mark? Been okay. Okay. Um, we're we're back in a lockdown again, aren't we, in the UK? So. Oh, you are because of Omicron, or yes, because of Omicron. Okay, well, hopefully that's not going to be the case here. All the politicians have said that that's not going to be the case, but I guess we'll we'll see. All reports that we've had so far is that it's very contagious, obviously, but it's a little bit milder. There's no loss of taste and smell uh, as associated with Delta, and so hopefully it's a little bit of an overreaction on their part, and you guys can 
get out of lockdown again? I mean, initially, yeah, I think Australia actually did did a really good good job with it because there was a full on lockdown and they locked out anybody from coming into Australia, from what I remember as well. And the yes, the, yeah, yeah, we had we had some issues with um, problems around quarantine at a state level here in Victoria. Probably that could have been done a lot better, and that will probably come up in the next election. So, Mark. Uh, you're obviously been doing this a lot longer than I have, and uh, we have similar sort of shows in terms of we like to talk to other podcasters. What was that impetus, that prompt that got you to start talking to a microphone? Well, it was a long time coming, uh, in a way, because uh, friends of mine, um, I'll name them, Paul, Paul Edwards and Tony Hearn from the show Punky Radio, they've been doing uh, that since very early days of podcasting i think before i think before they're even called podcast so we're talking the late noughties there okay i thought mid to late noughties that they've been doing it and back then they said that oh you you should have a go at that marv and uh, you, you'll probably enjoy it and i was a bit standoffish because um it is a weird one is that I'm, I'm actually quite shy as a person funnily enough so the idea of actually talking to people was was a bit scary and I sort of have to push myself into situations in a way to talk to people. But um, then over the years, I've become quite um, quite an addict of uh, podcast, um, obviously. But even more so since doing the show, I will I will say that. So sometime during um, last year, 2020, during the COVID year, it wasn't anything to do with actually COVID and the lockdown because, I mean, I was working throughout and, you know, I, st- I still am working even though I've got chest infection still going to work um you have to earn the money <laughs> of course. and um so i was coming up to my 50th and um you know doing my job which is uh alarm response and uh mobile patrols as security and that is it's a bit um it's interesting because i'm always going driving around here there and everywhere and responding and you never know what's going to happen from one night to the next but at the same time because there's a lot of hours involved in that, and basically your life becomes a, a circle of, you know, you go home, you go to bed, you get up, you get ready, you go to work. And it's almost like I wanted something to break out of that a bit. Yeah. So um, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll start a podcast. And uh, unfortunately, somebody had already started a podcast about the band Queen. So I thought, what can I have a podcast about? Uh, and then... Um, Stupidly enough, I thought, oh, I've found a niche here. I've, you know, I'll, I'll do a podcast talking to podcasters about podcast. Yeah. Started it and then found out that um, I'm most definitely not the only one, <laughs> as can be shown here. Yes, we're, we're, we're not uh, unique. But anyway, uh, we all give it our own spin, I guess, or our own flavor in terms of the way we do it. Obviously, I do a top 10 list that I get my guests to, to count down and we'll, we'll get to yours uh, in a sec. And you uh, obviously talk to a, a whole range of people. Uh, how do you pick the guests that you're going to bring onto your show? Initially, when I first started, in all honesty, I picked people whose shows I was listening to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was listening to Real Blend, obviously listened to a heck of a lot of Beatles-related podcasts. Nobody from the official Queen podcast has responded and given me a date yet, although this oh. one will get back to you and yeah, a bit miserable. Um, and um, yeah, well, you know, yeah, people. Everybody's different. They'll come round eventually. Yeah. 
And um, there's other Queen shows out there that are more, um, shall we say, less official. That Sometimes I think, of, you know, going off on a tangent, sometimes I think that the more unofficial um, podcast can be interesting in a way because it's a bit like um, documentaries about bands where where they can be choosy about what they discuss and maybe not go quite into as much detail as an independent would. Yeah, difference in terms of how raw they get. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I got, I got, I got a few, a couple of Beatles podcasts. I was um, out of the blank, which is a chat show where Robbie Robertson talks to um, whoever he wants to talk to about anything, and <laughs> he's called out of the blank because he has no actual idea whatsoever what he's going to talk about before okay. the show even starts. Yeah. And um, of course, that worked with the first show as well because that was the first show I recorded. And at that point, I was getting the shows ready. And um, I sort of contacted him. He said, yeah, I'm up for this. Um, so I was just preparing all the bullet points because I normally do bullet points for shows. And back then, actually, I did questionnaire, which is not a good idea, really, because if you write questions out, uh, you're you're almost stuck to those questions. And sometimes you can miss yes. little bits that are said because you're too busy trying to follow on to the next question. Yeah, you're not listening. I understand so, um, that. <laughs> that's right. And so... Um, so anyway, I'd written this out and sent it to him, you know, expecting to start recording the show the week after or something. And uh, he sent a message back saying, uh, I've started the Zoom chat now. Let's go. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll record, I'll record for your show now. And so, uh, okay. um, so thrown you... in at the deep end. Okay. So it was a baptism of fire, but uh, obviously it went well. It did. And I think, I think it turned out okay as well. You know, but um, yeah. And then the following week, um, I think I did eight or nine in three days. My God. Recorded eight or nine shows in three days the following week, which included the, uh, the fabulous, um, the one you, you, I know one you've listened to, the one with Sean O'Connell from yes. Cinema Blend. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah that was, uh, that was really good. That was very entertaining, actually. I, I really enjoyed that. So because we have a show that's very similar, I guess, in terms of the fact that we talk to podcasters, uh, it's something I, I was interested in myself in terms of how you went about choosing who you spoke to and whether or not there was a specific type of guest that you wanted or you'd pretty much speak to anyone that uh, put their hand up. Uh, I know you have a a bit of a focus with indie podcasters, as I do. I like to support the indie podcast scene as much as I can, and you do so much work in, obviously, the group we met in, and that was great, met a a lot of nice people through there, and a couple of Aussies actually, which I didn't expect to see. So, <laughs> but you do a, a power load of work on Instagram, supporting everybody's work and and all the shows that you listen to. So it's uh, it's really great that I get a chance to speak to you now and pick your brain, and hopefully I can make my show better as well. <laughs> how, how did you come up with I'll your just name? Just do a shout out to, to Matty at Astro League. That's the one. Which is an yes. Australian podcast. Yeah, Matty, he's a lovely guy. He's uh, he seems like a lovely guy. So I've I've chatted to him on. Instagram, but never actually, you know, over the phone or, or Zoom or anything like that. So I, I do want to speak to him one day and uh, maybe do a show with him. So we'll see how we go with that. Uh, I'd love to actually um, participate in one of your group meetings too. So you guys, uh, all the guys in the, the group, uh, not all the guys, but uh, whoever can make it, uh, sometimes get together in the Indie Podcasters group and have a bit of a, a chat together, which I actually find them some of your uh, most interesting episodes in terms of uh, the guys that turn up and you just talk yep. about different things. One day I'll uh, I'll put my hand up. <laughs> 
unfortunately, they seem to be at the time when I'm running kids to school and, <laughs> and working. So, but we can work around that one day. Uh, Pods Like Us, how did you come up with the name? Um, oh, that was one of the most difficult things because, um, I'll, I'll be honest, originally, uh, I came up with the, um, with the title Chatterpod. That's not bad. Okay. So I thought, oh, Chatterpod with an ad symbol. Yep. Seeing, you know, to make it a bit sort of flashy. Yeah. And then um, as I was about, as I was getting it started and off the ground, there is actually a show called Chatterpod already. <laughs> well, there has been. It doesn't go, it's not going anymore. Okay. It finished about four years ago. Yeah. So uh, I thought, well, I can't use that. And after, oh, God, must have been nearly a week or something of thinking this up, because you always work these things out before you, um, before you start these shows. But then again, I say that and then, you know, I had to record that show a week earlier than anticipated for the first one. But then um, it was on the 11th hour almost, you know, exactly like one of those James Bond films, you know, where where he's coming down to like, you know, the last second <laughs> one. Like, oh, I've stopped the bomb, yep, stop. that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah. and then suddenly my other half, Louise, came up with a chi- t- title, uh, Pods Like Us, based on my love of um, Paul McCartney. So it's it's actually a pun on the Paul McCartney song Spies Like Us. Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. And not a bad Chevy Chase movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> with so, the, with Dan Aykroyd's wife in it as well. That's the one. Yes. So, uh, oh, very good. I didn't see, I, I actually thought it was, you know, because you're a podcaster and uh, you're speaking to other podcasters and obviously it makes sense that pods like us, uh, but I never knew that uh, yep. Beatles reference. So that's, that's something we've learned today, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> something I've learnt, so there you go. But like, like you said, as soon as Louise came up with that title, it, it worked because I thought, well, yeah, of course, because it's podcasters like us. Yes, and um, and then it's it's changed um, slightly over time as well. The show, okay, to, to a degree, because um, it, it started initially has as the um, me chatting with podcasters about their shows, and then once some. Um, I think I got through, well, I'd already pre-recorded quite a few episodes. And then uh, as I was coming on the 8th, because um, when I started, I did the ridiculous thing of thinking, oh, I can release two episodes per week. And uh, <laughs> I don't do that anymore. No, that's probably a lot of work. I don't do that. That's a lot of work. Um, and as episode 8 was getting ready to come out, I just had this thought of, oh, you know what I could do? I could do a group chat of different podcasters from different shows discussing basically shooting the breeze and uh, whatever they whatever they discuss i mean i, I usually have a even a uh, a rough outline of what we're going to discuss uh which like i said earlier is called bullet points it's just like a list of of points to hit uh but it's not quite so structured in that as it is in a normal show so i'll have a specific subject that we're working on i'm organizing a couple of those soon I think I've got one tonight where we're talking about Christmas films, yep. which we did last year, but yep. I'm doing it with a different group of people this year, so I won't be able to give my top um, list of Christmas films because I did that last year. Okay, but it's just it, it, it just mixes up the the whole um, thing, and I, I like it when taking the different podcasters from different shows out of their shows and putting them into a situation that they're not used to. So you'll have one person from one show one from another and sometimes they're even different genre of show as well so yeah when i did classic films recently that one i had i had rob stewart from stew world order 
who does do a film based one on superheroes, um, Amanda from the SIP list, she includes films. She does a lot of things like top fives of films or whatever. But okay. additional to that, then I had Tom Hunyardi from Two Legs, which is a Paul McCartney podcast, and he does the Beatles-related Talk More Talk. And who else did I have? Um, Matthew DeSantis from the horse racing show, um, the Wind Place show. Oh, yes. I, I actually listened to the um, episode you, you did with him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that and, was really uh, good. And during lead up to to the to the show with him about the Wind Place show, we were to, all we were talking about was uh, was like gangster films. <laughs> and the lead up to the thing, and I'm like, we were talking about it. I thought, you know, I'm going to have to have a group chat about classic films now and yes. bring Matthew in. But the fact that you take them out of their usual type of show mm-hmm. makes it interesting in a way because they're coming to it from a different angle. And some people, you hit a subject that. Because it's not their normal show, but it's something that they love. Yes. It's more interesting to them in a way, like the, you know, even Tom said, because the previous week I'd recorded a Beatles related one because I couldn't get enough people to do a film chat. <laughs> and then he was like, he said, Oh, I enjoyed that. He says, but it wasn't what I expected. He says, I wanted a film chat. Yeah. So the following week when I did a film chat show, um, I brought Tom on to there. Well, that's a perfect segue into your top 10 list for this week because uh, that's what I do the top 10 list for. It's pretty much to get people to come out of their comfort zone or come out of the idea of their or the theme of their podcast and explore something that they're passionate about. And obviously, music is something that you're really passionate about. And when I gave you the list of topics, uh, you came up with top 10 desert island albums. So 10 albums you'd take with you to listen to on a desert island if you had to stay there for a long time or forever. Why don't we start with uh, your number 10 and take it from there? Okay. I mean, I've, I've actually said in the, in the message that it's in no order. And, and really, this is the 10 albums I'd take on a desert island, but they're not necessarily my 10 favorite albums of all okay. time. Yeah. It's more to do with, um, I'm a very, I like a variety of music. So the, the idea of these 10 albums is to give me that variety that I like. So um, in no order, we'll start with them. Um, actually, I'll start with the most out there of them all, shall I? Yep. Uh, Sounds of India by Ravi Shankar from, the, <laughs> uh, from 1957, I think it was. Okay. So, so this is one when what you just said then um, strikes a chord with me because one of the notes I've got down here is music for all moods. So when I looked at yep. your list, you know, there's music to, to G you up and fire you up. There's contemplative music. Uh, there's different styles, uh, a little bit harder, a little bit softer. And, uh, when I thought back and I went, it's actually a, a really good list for, yeah, different moods. So this was one I wasn't sure of though, because I, I guess it's more ambient or atmospheric, uh, ambient type music. Uh, it's not one I've got a lot of experience with. But I know he had a lot of influence, obviously, with one of your favourite bands in terms of the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was my introduction to Ravi, I'll be honest, would be would be through the Beatles and then through George. And, uh, I mean, I, I, do, I do play the sitar a bit. Oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm okay. I, I get by. Um, but um, if, if I played it in front of Ravi Shankar now, you know, obviously I can't. Rest in peace, Ravi. Yeah. He'd probably, probably say, you know, oh, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he'd say in, in, indeed, indeed, some, some Indians have, you know, 
<laughs> I went to go and get some work done to the to it to to the sitar. I went to um, an Indian music shop in Southall, mm-hmm. uh, down uh, near London, and uh, and I was there. And then you know they they did a bit of work on it for me and restrung it for me because it's, it's um, excuse me, but it's a bug it's a bugger to uh, to tune. <laughs> okay, to well not to tune but to string. So uh, I was there, and then I was sat down with it, and you know I was playing it like this, and they're like. Uh, it's, it's funny because I'm there and they're saying, no, 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 you must sit like this. <laughs> this is how you play it so that you've got the right, because um, it's all about getting the right um, balance of your body with the instrument. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, and there we go. Um, it's almost like doing yoga while you're trying to play the guitar. Oh, that makes it easier. You know, <laughs> but with 20-something strings to play. <laughs> and um, no, no hassle there then. So, um, yeah, Ravi, that... The, the sounds of India. It's it's an interesting album because, in a sense, it's 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 a tutorial album in a way. It's not not necessarily an album of songs. So you'll have um, Ravi there, and he'll be talking you through, and then he'll start playing. And what he's doing is he's talking you through what the different uh, ragas, as they call them, the different rhythms and timings that they have. Is explaining those to you. Okay, and and then he goes into a piece that is like that is based on that rhythm or that vibration that he's trying to put across okay. and uh, teach people about. So it's, it's it's like a tutorial in Indian classical music, essentially. Yeah, look, I, I did listen to a little bit of it uh, because I hadn't actually, apart from knowing that the the influence that Ravi Shankar had with the Beatles, I knew nothing else of his music. So I did listen to some of it and uh, it's probably, probably pretty much what I expected. But um, yeah, I do see what you mean about he, he stops and talks and then goes into uh, a song in, yeah, I didn't know they were called Ragas. So that's something else I've learned today. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, really interesting. Very interesting. Number nine. So number nine, I will go to, um, it's uh, it's a ballet suite called Rodeo by, by Aaron Copeland. Um, and famously, you know, Aaron Copeland would be famous for Fanfare for the Common Man. Uh, but, but I suppose actually the big one from this album from me or from this ballet for me would be, um, I think it's called Hoedown. That's it. Okay. So I remember, um, Emerson Lake and Palmer did a version of that as well, Hoedown, uh, as well as Fanfare for the Common Man, which famously Aaron Copeland actually hated their versions of his <laughs> music. Okay. And, was very, um, shall we say, um, verbal with his opinions. Oh, okay. So he wasn't backwards and coming forward yet. <laughs> no, right. no, he was not. <laughs> there were a few choice words in there. Well, we that fanfare for the common man was actually the intro music to one of our longest running sports TV shows here in Australia. So uh, I remember okay. waking up. I think it was a Sunday morning. And that was the, the intro to, uh, I think it was Channel 7, the sporting show that they had there that was, uh, yeah, it ran for ages and ages. And, uh, was it used anywhere else, like in Olympics or something like that? Possibly, possibly. For, for those in the UK, Channel 7 is famous for the Sullivans. <laughs> uh, well, I, I grew up with my grandparents and I used to watch the Sullivans and I, I really enjoyed the Sullivans as well because my grandfather would make references to certain things certain things uh and you know he'd talk about the days of depression and uh leading up to that and then he was um military as well he thought they did a fantastic job with the sullivans in terms of getting all the period things that the like radios and the the costumes uh they 
got them pretty spot on. Uh, so I think the Sullivans was a, a big hit here as well. And the uh, the true beginning of the careers for both Kylie and Danny Minogue. <laughs> pretty much, I guess, yeah. Because they, they were both, they were the daughters. Yes. Um, all right, so that's uh, Aaron Copeland. So that's most, that's pretty much all instrumental music, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But th- 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 there's something about that out that, that uh, suite, the the whole pa- the whole thing. I mean, especially Hoedown itself. That uh, I don't know if you know Hoedown, you know, off the top of your head, but it's you listen to it and you think that is the beginning of what would become um, themes for westerns in the future. In a way, ah, okay. you can actually hear how it influences, you know, like um, the Magnificent Seven themes yep. and, and all these classic western like themes, yeah. and you know, and even the spaghetti westerns, you know, that it's got that hook yep. to it. I mean, if we could pause the show, you could have a listen, and then as soon as it starts, you'll be like, or one little bit, you'll know what we're on about. But yeah. I was thinking when I, I did listen to, I knew Fanfare for the Common Man, obviously, but I wanted to listen to some more of his stuff. And I probably did listen to a bit of Hoedown today as well on the way to Ballarat. Uh, and uh, I thought to myself, again, placing the music if I was on a desert island. And I, I, I could see you doing the old Swiss Family Robinson type of, you know, chopping down coconuts and doing something around the, uh, the, the hut and uh, with just that playing in the background. It would be great background Absolutely. music. Yeah. So, yeah. It is. All right, so let's get into number eight. Some questions about this one, I guess. Okay. Why would you have any questions about the greatest (laughs) Christmas album of all time? Look, I have no issues with that, although it's uh, producer probably. (laughs) Uh, It's producer, yes. (laughs) It's infamous. We actually do a joke joke about that every year, me and Louise. Okay, what is it? Because uh, cause at the end you've got Silent Night, the music at the at the end. So we're talking about a Christmas gift for you. Uh, the the Phil Spector produced uh, Christmas album with the Ronettes and um, Dar- Darlene Love and all these other acts. Uh, is it the Blue Jeans or something? Um, but um, the Ronettes are the are the most uh, most recognisable of all the all the groups. Mm. Um, so it's more to do with the producer Phil Spector that you're a bit questionable, isn't it? I can sort of understand that. <laughs> Look, he was obviously um, fantastic at his craft. Uh, you know, he was lauded by many as a, a, a genius. I guess he was just human as well and didn't have the greatest ending to uh, his story that uh, could have been. No, but then again, you could question him during the famed um, or the infamous John Lennon sessions for the rock. He kept bringing a gun with him. Oh, really? Okay. Because he was involved the in studio. in uh, uh, remastering Let It Be, wasn't he, that album? Or getting that, that album together so that they could actually uh, uh, release it. Yeah. So that's a big bone of contention with Mr. McCartney, shall we say. Oh, really? 
Oh, okay. Again, I'm not a big Beatles fan. I just know bits and pieces about, and, and obviously, uh, the things you hear about the involvement of Phil Spector with, Spector with them. And that's what I always thought that he was involved. Uh, he was brought in by the group to help them, uh, recover, uh, an album. What's the alternative I mean, story? <laughs> Yeah, if, if, if I was going to say before I say this, I mean, it's, it's ironic that I've picked this album in a way because a lot of the time I actually think that he overproduces. Okay. A lot of the time. And I think he goes that little bit step, that step further than he needs to do with his productions, any songs, and he's got this long to get them done. I mean, most of them are already, you know, classic traditional Christmas songs for the most part. Um, so he's not got to do much there. He only wrote a couple of them, but he did actually write a couple of songs for it. And so perhaps because he was down to the wire, he wasn't able to actually go that bit step, that step further than he would have done had he have had the time. Uh, cause he would, he would, he would famously, you know, spend something like months on a single song to get the right, right drum sound that he's after or the right piano sound or something you think. God, how long would it take him to do an album if you did that? You know, you, it'd be like waiting for Boston to come out with a new album. <laughs> that that long wait that everybody had for Hysteria by Def Leppard. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I'm a Leopard, uh, Def Leppard fan, so, so I understand what you're talking about there. So, yeah. So you know, seven years to get an album. Yeah, and so, um, but because he's to the wire of this one, and I think he had to sort of rush it in a way. I think it worked better that way because it's got that production style to it but not over the top like a lot of his other productions can be from my point of view so the thing with the let it be uh so those sessions as everybody knows now were were done in 1969 in january or a lot of them were which incidentally was what nine months before they actually did split up so mm-hmm. unofficially split up and um and nobody found out for about five, six months after that. And so, um, as you'll find from watching the Get Back documentary that's out now, it didn't quite turn out as planned. I think they had like five songs that they ended up playing on the rooftop at the end, as opposed to 14, which they wanted, they wanted to do a live album or live, live, live performance of brand new songs and have that as an album. And it didn't quite work out. So, they were back and forth with this material that they'd recorded, which included stuff that was just jammed out and wasn't really set in stone recording wise. And uh, the whole thing was sort of like put to the side for a bit and they worked on uh, the Abbey Road album. And then towards the end of 69, uh, John Lennon had already done, um, I think he'd already done Instant Karma, the single, which uh, incidentally George Harrison features on. And, um, Phil Spector had produced that. Okay. So, um, John liked Phil Spector and Phil Spector actually came out of retirement to produce that because he'd actually retired three, three or four years before that. Oh, okay. He stopped doing anything. 65, 66. Yes. Phil Spector. So John got him out of uh, retirement to do that because he wanted to work with a Beatle, you know, just because he's a Beatle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thought he could do something interesting and make it not sound George Martiny, probably his words. And, um, so that happened. And then because of the rapport there with John and with George as well, because George was, George played guitar on Instant Karma. 
they both decided to hand over the reels, all the recordings that they'd made in January, and some extra bits and bobs that, that were in the archive from around that period, and handed them over to, to Mr. Spectre. And he returned with an album that um, completely went against, you know, what was the original plan of like live, only li- only hear what you can hear in a live situation. Okay. And he suddenly threw on them um, uh, orchestras, choirs. Um, Paul McCartney famously hates the. Uh, Giles said, "Look, I can see where Paul's coming from. That he doesn't like all the orchestration, this, that, and the other." He said, "But what I'm doing is I'm remixing." the original album as it came out in 1970, uh, which is a hodgepodge of three or four different sessions anyway. Mm-hmm. So he said, I'm trying to do justice to that, what people remember of the original album. What you've got there is good, but, you know, quite rightly, Giles Martin is doing a, a remix of the original album and trying to just make it a bit cleaner for the modern modern ear. Yeah. Quite funny that he's, you know, George, I mean, George Martin's son as well. You know, the famed Beatles producer, George Martin, yes. is Giles Martin's dad. Okay, very good. Yeah, look, you're obviously a big Beatles fan, so, uh, you know, it's not going to be to anyone's surprise that uh, we're going to come across one of the albums on here. So, uh, but before we get to that, let's get to your number seven. Okay. Yes. Bit of prog rock. <laughs> Uh, so it could be a few, uh, but which one in particular? I've I've chosen Moving Pictures by Rush, and I've done that because much as I remember hearing, you know, Owner of a Lonely Heart all over the place back in the day by Yes, which I did love. Mm-hmm. Moving Pictures by Rush. Rush were probably the first band that, from a friend of mine, I heard enti- an entire album by. Okay. Um, Funnily enough, the f- first Rush album that I heard would be Fly By Night, which was their second album. Yep. Because I, s- I said on a chat with um, self-promoting here, but when, when I talked to the people from um, Something For Nothing, the Rush fan cast. I've listened to um, that one of your shows. That I've listened to that show as well. Yep. I remember that. Which which um, which I was I had the had the um, the pleasure of uh, having a co-host with that one with Greg from Bad Council. That's the one. Yes, exactly. That was uh, yeah. Actually, uh, was that over two episodes? That was just one episode. Oh, it was just though. one episode. Okay, yeah. yeah. I do remember listening to it, though, because he's a massive Rush fan, isn't he? He's a very big Rush fan. Yeah. Very. Yeah. No, I, I did the enjoy I did enjoy that. <laughs> and it was actually, it was good to hear Greg away from Bad Council and Eclectic Company and, and hear him talking so passionately about something uh, that he's, he's interested in. It was a really interesting episode. I think he did really well there. It's... It's an area where I'm going to go to uh, more, where um, just just to change up the um, the whole thing in a way to to mix it up, I'm going to have people from other podcasts co-host with me mm-hmm. shows about you know things that they love as well. So I'd, I'd still have the bullet points, but the idea there with Greg, I was doing an experiment in a way where I had the bullet points, but I thought. It'd be interesting to get conversation going to have someone who is such a huge fan as Greg is. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a huge fan as well of Rush, obviously. Otherwise, I want to pick, pick the album Moving Pictures by Rush. And um, so I just thought it intriguing because when, when I do eventually 
get the chance to talk to the people from the Yes Music podcast. That one I'm doing with the uh, co-host of Two Legs, the Paul McCartney podcast, uh, Andy Nichols, because Yes is one of his favourite bands. Okay. So it's just the idea of make it so it would make the conversation flow a bit more because so the idea that I have for my show is to is sort of an introduction to the to the, the podcast itself that I'm talking to you know about their show mm-hmm. the podcasters talk talking about their show so it's introducing it to their so you know you get the general you know well you know where do you get the title from you know what you know what do you use to record with you know and all these questions but then where it sort of goes out of that in a way is that then I'll try and go into conversing about what their show is about. So I'll bring in something like with the Beatles thing. I mean, it's quite easy with the Beatles at the moment because this thing's going on all the time. So if I did a Beatles related show, I could just go, what, what do you think about that? That's come out recently. So if I did a Beatles show now, it'd be, you'd be like, well, so what do you think of the, uh, the get back, um, uh, documentary or what do you think about the reissue of let it be or this, that and the other. So, and then you're then introducing people who are listening to these people for the first time, these podcasters. You're showing their knowledge and what they know, which introduces them even more to what their show is all about. So you're introducing them to their show in sort of a micro way. Yes. I think it, it worked really well with, with Greg and yourself. For example, yeah. obviously, you'd be a fantastic uh, co-host if uh, you know you're going to talk to someone about their Beatles podcast. Uh, you'd have uh, a lot of input that you could uh, bring to the party, uh, and a lot of opinions and things like that. Which, yeah, would would be great. And it's always nice to hear someone talk about something that they're passionate about. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a great idea. Now, back to moving pictures, though. How come not twenty one twelve? Okay, because um, that that's one of my favourites, but. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I love twenty one twelve, but for some reason, moving pictures just sit. Just it's just my favourite Rush album. Okay, it's it's the the I think it's the variety that's there that you've got going on there with the different songs. I mean, you know, you've yeah. got the the classic Tom Sawyer that's yes, on of there, course. yeah, which is great and um, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, I, lo- I loved it. I, w- I went in the recording studio a few years ago, and they uh, and the, in the recording studio that I use sometimes. They they got themselves a new uh, a new pod, they got themselves a new Moog mm-hmm. synthesizer. Okay, yep, yep. And um, so uh, so the engineer is is a really great friend of mine. He just said to me, he says, "Oh, we've got this." And then suddenly he started doing the intro to, to Tom Sawyer on that synth, and I'm like, oh, "God, that's awesome! <laughs> that's fantastic! Um, it's just iconic, you know." Yeah. And so that that got utilized in those sessions that synth, and uh, I loved it. It's like it's like taking a child to a toy shop. They put me in a music studio with all these, you know, instruments, and yeah. I'm just gonna play. Get lost in. Yeah, I'm just gonna play. Yeah. I shouldn't really admit this online, you know. You know, not not that many people. You know, there's only a few million people online listening. Uh, but sometimes, you know, if if I get an alarm call on my job and I've got to wait for an engineer to come out, um, especially schools. Obviously, they have music rooms. <laughs> so I see where this is going. <laughs> Marv, ha- Marv has to do. Marv has to do something while he's waiting for engineers to show. I mean, f- yeah, for alarm engineers to show up. Should we say? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's so. You, you have a bit of a tinker. Yeah, there's, prob- there's probably footage of me on school cameras actually <laughs> playing their playing their playing their pianos. 
Very good. Um, one of the schools has got a gorgeous double bass that I love playing every time I go there. Ah, oh, nice. So you don't actually trip the alarm yourself so you can go over there, do you? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> Can't do that. Can't do that. We've got, we've got a thing in place where you can only respond if an alarm call comes through. Okay, very good. Um, and, and we are tracked as well, so they know I'm not there. Look, I must admit, with Rush, I was introduced to Rush by a co-worker, someone, a friend of, oh, he's a friend, but also a co-worker from Queensland, another state, and an expat uh, leads man. He mm-hmm. is huge into prog rock and dream theatre and Rush, and I said, look, I've never really listened to much, and first thing he did was make me CDs of both dream theatre and Rush, and since then I've uh, played a lot of Guitar Hero, and... One of the, I think yep. it's Monsters of Rock, uh, has the whole extra section that is all based around Rush and 2112 and the priests. So, yeah, uh, that's probably why I like that album so much. But I, I have listened to Moving Pictures as well, and obviously Tom Sawyer's the favourite off of that. And it is a really cool album, but I'm probably just linked to 2112 because of Guitar Hero. <laughs> so, But yep. all the music's fantastic. Yeah, and it's a transitional album for Rush as well. So they're transitioning from what they were in the 70s and becoming what they will become in the 80s as well. Okay. So I, I, I see that as being, you know, so uh, I can see where it's gone from um, permanent waves to uh, to the next album that would follow that, Signals. I can see that transition there in the album Moving Pictures. Yeah, um, okay. But there's other tunes on there that I love as well, like um, uh, Limelight, I think. Limelight is a hell of a riff. Yeah. I listened to it again on uh, my drive today, and uh, not the whole album, but a, a, a few of the songs. And it's music that's sort of like going home. You, you haven't heard it for a while, and you put it on, and you get a nice warm feeling. And there's the the, um, the bass work. That bass uh, when it goes into uh, the break in uh, Red Barchetta as well. That is just astounding. There's nobody like Geddy Lee that playing the bass. I don't think possibly. Chris Squire gets close from from uh, from yes maybe. Uh, what about the guy from Tool? Well, yes, know. okay, the guy from Tool as well. I yeah, can't remember his name. Sorry, <laughs> Tool. I can't. I can't remember the name of the bass player from Tool, but good shout. I wish great band. Yeah, I wish my son was here. Um, he's a well, he he likes music in general, and he has a better memory than I do. So uh, we we talk about you know music a lot, and he's sort of. Uh, I recently told him about Tool and we were talking about, you know, guys who play bass because I went and saw Joe Satriani here when he came out because I'm a big fan of Satriani and uh, I was talking yep. about his bass player who was amazing and, again, his name uh, skips my mind. But uh, And I said, oh, if you, you like, uh, you know, good bass, you might want to listen to this band Tool. And he knew of them but he'd never really listened to them. And so now every time he gets in my car, he Bluetooths in and we're listening to Stink Fist or, you know, <laughs> something else. He's pretty good. Yep. Uh, I have a particular love of the uh, the self-titled Joe Satriani album. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. No, no, I'm thinking no, I'm thinking of the extremist. Yeah, the extremist. Um, I love that- the extremist album. Uh so on there you've got uh, Nathan East on bass. Okay. You know, the, the famous bass player for for Michael Jackson live and for Eric Clapton live. Um and then I think on drums you've got uh Omar Hake, I think. And then, as, as, a, as a side, as another guitarist with him on there, you've got um, Andy Fairweather Low, of all people, from um, the 1960s band Amen Corner. And he's an incredible guitarist, Andy okay. Fairweather Low. 
when, when it, so Amen Corner, you'd know them from uh, If Paradise Was Half Is Half As Nice. No, I don't. I actually don't know who that is. So right, okay, yeah. No, not ringing a bell. <laughs> no, no, that's big right. people. Sorry about the singing. That's right. just infected. Um, so um, so it was just weird when I because I'm one of those people who obviously I look at the credits and I oh who's doing this who's doing mm. that, who's doing mm. the other and then then I saw these people's names I just thought it was the most incredibly varied group of musicians that I would have thought being on an album together really you know yeah. but um, but it, it just works you know so you've got. The, the, you know, you've got the extremist itself on there and you've got, yeah. you know, I mean, this isn't even on the list. I'm, go- I'm going on a tangent. Here, so. <laughs> that's all right. All right. Well, look, that's your, for the first, uh, what have we got? Four that we've gone through. So why don't we, uh, take a break and you can get a drink and we'll come back in a sec. All right. So we're back. And now before we go on to the rest of the countdown, uh, Marv, I wanted to ask you about, uh, some of the things that you're interested in, obviously, other than podcasting, uh, and probably other than music, because we've determined that you're a massive music fan, Beatles and Rush and, uh, things like that. So what else do you do for, for fun or what other interests do you have? Um, I watch films, um, I collect comics, I read comics, I've read comics since I was very young, um, started, you know, got getting in, inspired to, or influenced to read comics from reruns of the old um, Spider-Man cartoon and, you know, the uh, the, the famous um, Incredible Hulk series with um, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Um, so, um, <laughs> That's a throwback. <laughs> and and I've I've not grown up since then. You see, not could, could say I've probably grown down. <laughs> well, we all shrink as we get older. So, uh, yeah. Yes, look, that that was funny. I uh, I talk to my sons about that series every now and then, especially my eldest boy. Uh, and I've shown them. It was either on YouTube. I would have been nowhere else. I got it, and he he cracked up laughing. They still used him in the Marvel films, you know, um, Lou Ferrigno. Really. Yeah, they still used him because for a few films he was the voice of the the actual Hulk. Oh, okay, so he's the voice. Oh, really? That's... So when he hulks up, yeah, uh, it was Lou Ferrigno for for a good few films, and only recently, I think, in uh, only in Infinity War and Endgame, and since it's been um, a variation of Mark Ruffalo's voice okay. instead. But up until then, up until then, the voice of the actual Hulk, yeah, when he hulks up, yeah. was um, Lou Ferrigno. Very good. Um, so you're not a big, uh, uh, you're, you're an Englishman. You're not into the EPL or soccer or you have football? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm a weird person. I'm an, I'm a Brit, I'm a Brit that doesn't really like soccer or football or whatever you want to call it. No, you're, you're not the first. I had a couple it, it of, made, it made, um, yeah, it, it made Tim and the guys from Bad Bad Council surprise actually because we were talking about that, and then I said I'm much more interested in baseball. Okay, well that's so, that's interesting. So yeah, so so I follow baseball. Oh, yeah, you do to, okay. to a degree. Oh, very good. Good mm. to hear. It's funny. I had a couple of guys on from the We Have Been Watching podcast, and yep. both of those guys are not into football at all as well. <laughs> So you're not the only uh, Englishman that I've met that isn't into football. But then again, you know, I mean, I've talked to Americans who don't like who don't like baseball or or American football. Yeah, so, exactly. There you go. Yeah. 
Um, with your music, uh, do you go out and see a lot of live bands? I used to years ago, and then uh, then we moved. Funnily enough, moved back now to where I, where I was from before. So um, hopefully that'll. But yes, I used to, and uh, you know, I've played gigs and I've been to see lots of bands. Yeah. And, uh, I used to arrange gigs for people and you know book bands as well or whatever for for performances and things as well back in the day. Of the people you've seen, who would you say is probably the most memorable concert you've been to? I, I mean, I've seen I've seen a few bands, you know, a good few bands. You know, I've seen you know I Maiden, mm-hmm. uh, Paul McCartney. I've seen Paul live. Um, I've seen the Red Hot Chili Peppers, no doubt, were terrible live. <laughs> um, and um, I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> but um, the, the most standout, oh, Slash, you know, from Guns N' Roses, he, he played Rock City, which ah. is a venue in Nottingham. Yep. And uh, he played Rock City with his band Slash's Snake Pit, and that, mm-hmm. that was outstanding. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, he's got What a band. I mean, yeah. I mean, what a band. I mean, you know, in that band, you've got to, you've got Mike Inez on bass from, yes. from Alice in Chains. Yes. And, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like a who's who. Yeah. That band, it was amazing. But the best, most standout, concert I've ever been to would be Rage Against the Machine at, um, I told you, you know, I like a variety of music. Rage Against the Machine at Wembley Arena for the uh, Battle of Los Angeles tour. Okay. Yep. Uh, that was, um, I-, I think I must have lost two stone in sweat, <laughs> probably from from the fact that the entire, so I was on the floor. Yeah. So you've got the floor and then you've got the seating. So I was on the floor and, um, the entire area of the floor, which I think there were about 2,000 of us on the floor or 2,500 of us on the floor or something. Ridiculous. And the whole thing was like an enormous mosh pit, just <laughs> jumping yeah. all the way through the whole thing. And, you know, and I, I just had beads of sweat coming off me and I was probably punched three or four times by the person in front of me, you know, just getting a bit carried away with their arms. And, yeah. But, um, but that's a right. An concept. incredible experience. Those guys... They are just what you hear on the record, you hear on the stage to, to even, to an even bigger degree. Cause a lot of the records are actually live. Yeah. Initially recorded live on their albums. So what you're hearing is basically how they are on the album, but to the nth degree, because there's a back and forth between them and the audience that's making them go even further than they do with the, with the recordings yeah. on the records. Yeah. They're feeding off that energy. Yeah. And they, they are a band that do feed off that energy as well. It's, it's, um, musically and performance wise, it's the perfect marriage of rock and, uh, hip hop in a sense, or metal and hip hop in a sense. So you've got both. So you, and you've got the, um, you know, you've got the political angles with the lyrics mm. and everything and, and the music. And the music is like a rock version of a hip hop beat. Yeah. Yeah. Or rhythm in a way. And which is also a very personable type of music anyway, hip hop, because it's about the people. The best hip hop, yeah. in my opinion, is social conscience. So to me with hip hop, I will always fall back on, you know, the classics of like, I'll go back to Public Enemy. Yes. Uh, you know, NWA. NWA. Yeah. I grabbed um, that era too. Yeah. Run, run DMC. I'll yep. go to them, and they, they are probably, you know, and probably even um, Grandmaster Flash, Melly Mel, and the Furious Five. Five yeah, yeah, you know, and I would go to that, and then so it, it was a natural, it was a natural extension in a way for me for what from what 
uh, Run DMC had done on raising raising hell. So it's it's a natural extension from that that you would go from there to what Anthrax did then when they did bring the noise with them. Bring the noise was that with was that NWA? Can't remember now. So so you had this this through line that went from there to bring the noise by Anthrax, which would then naturally bring you to oh I know let's have a let's have a heavy metal group with a hip hop beat yeah yeah and rhythms in the music, and that's what they are. Yes, essentially, and it was just an incredible experience. And Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I still remember it now. Twenty over twenty years later, I still remember it. Nah, well, obviously, it had a big impact on you, and I could I can imagine a Rage concert would be pretty energetic and uh, a lot of fun. A bit dangerous. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, ah, oh, fantastic. Well, that, that's what I was looking for. So, yeah, look, I, uh, I like that fusion. Uh, a lot of the bands that I like, uh, you know, sort of new metal bands, Linkin Park and Incubus, uh, which yeah. incorporate, you know, that rock element plus, you know, decks and hip hop or, you know, rapping. I like a fusion of, different genres and and that's why probably incubus is one of my favorite bands and i think they do that you know better than probably anyone yeah so um what does louise think about all this podcasting um she, she enjoys it t- to a degree i mean she, she's just been and shut this door actually so she can't do me um uh, while she's getting ready um but she enjoys it sometimes and sometimes you know because it, it's it's a it, I mean, admittedly, it's a problem, you know, because you fit this in in the time, you know, and like I said, I do like 13-hour shifts at work, mm-hmm. five nights a week, and so fit it around that. It can it can sort of get in the way. Um, I mean, in a way, that's why I like to bulk record in a sense, because then if it's one of those weeks where we're not actually going to go anywhere, then if I can bulk record shows, it's great, because then the following week... I don't have to worry about, you know, oh, I need a show for this Sunday to bring out and I've not got one. Or, yeah. You know, you've got that backlog of, you've got that catalogue then to be able to go into and go, well, I'll, I'll pick that there and that there. And I mean, really having, having a back, having a catalogue of show, you know, or loads of shows in the can is better in a way as well, because then I can vary from episode to episode what type of show it's going to be as well, because you know, to pull away the curtain, you can, or I have had it where I've recorded multiple shows that are to do with Beatles related yeah. podcast. Yeah. I've done multiples of those in the same week or two week period, but to break them up, I've recorded shows since then, uh, that haven't been Beatles related so that I can put them in between because I'm trying to create a variation for the for the audience so that they come one week and it'd be like, oh, we're talking about Beatles here. You know? you know, if people aren't that much into the Beatles and you put four or five Beatles-related shows one after the other in succession, you'll suddenly lose your your listenership. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you want to, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll you know people will pick and choose, won't they? And they'll be like, well, if it's only going to talk about the Beatles, then it's a Beatles show. Yeah. Where I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be about a variety. Yeah. Um, and I pick that sort of like a variety. So I'll listen to new shows that I've never listened to before on purpose because I like to, I've, I've used it in a way to sort of widen my sort of knowledge to a degree 
or understanding of things, because it's almost like when you're going into a conversation with somebody you've never met, you're trying to find ground with people to build a rapport with them. And it's almost like a version of that. Um, but sometimes Louise will occasionally, you know, not be interested in what I'm going to talk about, but occasionally, and I mean, I think you might, you've probably heard episodes where Louise has chipped in occasionally and <laughs> yep. joined in the show and, and uh, she really gets into it, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, uh, that's how I come to know her name, actually. Obviously, uh, you make reference to her, but I've, I've heard her on, uh, uh, a couple of episodes. So, uh, and she was chiming in from the, from the background. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm interested to see what, uh, her, uh, level of interest is in terms of your podcasting and whether or not she'd actually get on the mic with you one day. Well, um, was it the, was it the film related one recently? Yeah, it was. So the one where we did the classic films group chat. Yeah. I, I actually introduced Louise essentially as, as what, well, I think Louise actually introduced herself yep. in it. So that was the first time where Louise was officially introduced at the opening of the show as part of the show, technically as a almost co-host. Fantastic. So, um, I'll have to I, listen I to that to, one. Um, yeah. And, and I need to find a Depeche Mode pod, need to get a Depeche Mode <laughs> podcast to get back to me. And then Louise will be all in on that. <laughs> Depeche Mode. Oh my God. Okay. Or, or, in, or in excess. Ah, well, look, that's a, a perfect segue, I guess, into let's get back into your, your countdown because, uh, without foreshadowing too much, uh, in excess may feature somewhere along the way. Um, they certainly do. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's go to the next one in the, the list, which is number six. Okay. Th- this one, I um, you, you know, I said from the, from the start that my uh, you know my, my my taste changes from one day to the next. My top ten more or my ten would change from day to day. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This might be one of those. Yes. Where I've picked pe- I've picked pet sounds by the Beach Boys. Um, for the variety that's going on on the album, because it's not just a basic Beach Boys album. There's all sorts going on there. I mean, you know, you've famously got, you know, Paul McCartney eating vegetables on one of the songs. Oh, really? Um, you know, eating like, yeah, on the song called Vegetables, it's him and Brian, him and Brian, uh, Wilson eating vegetables, doing the rhythm with, <laughs> while eating carrots and uh, <laughs> celery or something. Oh, God, I didn't know that. Well, look, this, what, there's so, 29, 30 there albums go. to pick from. So I guess this is, Got to be one that you really do like. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's the variety that's going on there and the experimentalism that's on there. I mean, like, like I said, you know, it shifts with the Beach Boys. It will shift for me between that. And as much as uh, Brian Wilson might question the sanitized version that they did, I actually quite like the Smiley Smile album as well. Okay. Yep. Uh, that followed this. Because it was supposed to be an album called Smile, that was. And uh, it was supposed to be a bit different, slightly different. But what they ended up bringing out with, because Brian Wilson famously, you know, he, he liked his drugs, and um, and it didn't turn, it didn't, it didn't basically come to fruition. The album because he just um, the drugs took over, and he, he didn't end up finishing it. So the record studio took company took what was there or what was done, and then beefed it up with some other like outtake songs that weren't used from you know, from Pet Sounds and from the album before that, I think. Yeah. And made an album out of it called Smiley Smile. Okay. And um, so it varies sort of between that Smiley Smile, 
possibly Surf's Up as well. I think that's I think that's an outstanding album. And although Surf's Up isn't exactly the you know the, <laughs> it's not the happiest song in the world. Um, um, but Pet Sounds also features possibly my favourite song of all time, which is God Only Knows. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I I did listen to that again. Uh, as I said, uh, I listened to as much of these that I didn't know, and this was one of the Beach Boys albums that I didn't really know, like Surfing USA and Little Dude's Coop and things like that. I I was aware of and had listened to, but uh, this was one that I'd never listened to before. Yeah, which which is strange, isn't it? Because it's 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 always put up by a lot of people as the album to go to. You know, it's mm. like. People will go to with the Beatles. People, you know, famously, you know, the Beatles will go. Oh, well, the, you know, the best album by the Beatles is Sergeant Pepper. I'm thinking, well, is it? Um, you know, I, I don't always go for the for the big album, but in this case, I sort of have with Pet Sounds, but yeah. more as an experimental album for what's going on there. So I can, you know, because when, when I was trained, I, I trained to be, trained as in, a, in sound engineering mm-hmm. back in the day, a long time ago. Um, great sound engineer. It's not, not got me anywhere. <laughs> and, um, so, um, we, we, we were sort of taught in that to, to listen out and it's almost, I didn't really like doing it back in the day, you know, doing there because it almost takes away the magic of music where the, the, where the person tutoring us would say, so how do you think that they made this sound? What elements do you think they've put together to make this? Yeah. And it's almost like, deconstructing and taking the magic. It's like the behind the scenes, you know, yes. on, you know, yep. um, you know, how did they do these special effects for this? You know, how did, how did Neo, how were they able to do this with Neo in the matrix? And it's like, take away the magic. And is the film still all that? Or yeah. do you like the film more because of it? And it's, it's a, you know, it's a difficult position to be in to, to, to you know, to deconstruct things like that. But, I could see myself actually on a desert island putting this on and thinking, so, um, he's got the, you know, he's got, uh, I can hear the, uh, I can hear a castanet in there. I can hear a, you know, a cabasa in there. I can hear this and I'm listening and I'm going, Ooh, can I hear this in there? And you're listening for the different elements and I can see myself getting carried away with that, you know, just in, yeah. you know, in a moment, you know, it, it's, it's almost like a crossword puzzle, but you haven't got a crossword puzzle. You've got to do something to, with your time, because you haven't got a television or anything. <laughs> yeah, look, I understand what you're talking about. Too. Yeah, in terms of um, the suspension of disbelief that you have when you're watching a movie, that you just want to enjoy the movie. You don't want to look at how they're doing things. You just want to enjoy the story and what they're presenting in front of you. And I guess with music, it can be the same. You just want to listen to the music. You don't want to actually try and listen out for detailed parts of it. You want to listen to the whole thing and enjoy it as it is. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's where I, I think if you have that knowledge, sometimes it could be detrimental to, to let yourself get too involved in terms of the mechanics behind the song or behind a movie. You don't maybe enjoy it as much. Uh, all right. So I think it, I think it also leads nicely into the next album as well. Okay. Well, why don't you tell everyone what the next album is? So I'm a, I'm a big fan of In Excess, you know, your, you know, your fellow countrymen. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Um, <laughs> You're not a big fan? No, no. Um, all right, okay. And so I've actually chosen um, possibly a lesser-known album to a lot of people. Yep. I don't know. Um, <laughs> called Welcome to Wherever You Are, which was from um, 
I think it was 1992. So they'd gone through that sort of, should we say, pop sort of era with, you know, with the um, kick and then uh, X. Yes. I mean, actually, I, I think the album before kick is a better album. I like Listen Like Thieves more than I do kick. Because mm-hmm. there's a certain, there's a certain sheen to kick and to the follow-up album X, which, you know, no detriment to the producer Chris Thomas, because I, I love Chris Thomas. I, I think he's a great producer, you know. I think Chris Thomas produced, uh, you know, he did uh, the first two albums by Roxy Music, which I think are okay. absolute classic albums. Yeah. But there was just something about Kick and X, which was a bit clean or cl- clinical in a sense, even though there's some, you know, absolute perfect pop songs. And then, so what they ended up doing then after they finished X, they, and the tour for that, they wanted to go, almost go back to where they'd come from beforehand, in the sense that they went back to the producer from one of my other favourite albums by NXS, which was Shibu Shubal from 82. And um, it's almost like they pulled back on that and they were sort of saying, well, what is the essence of this song? So you'd have the band, for the most part, performing live and not doing so much overdub. But then you've got this strange thing where, I mean, I've, t- I've talked to Mark Opitz, the, the producer for this, who incidentally was engineer for a lot of the early ACDC albums, by the way. Okay. Um, and he was saying that that's what they were after. They were after like, almost like a strip back. But at the same time, they wanted to experiment at the same time. So you've... You've suddenly got this album where In Excess had had string section or an orchestration on things like Never, on Never Tear Us Apart before on, on uh, Kick. But here, it's, it's there in your face straight away that they're experimenting with the, uh, with the thing of, um, how would it work with an orchestra? But instead of, Never Tear is a part where they've recorded the song and then the orchestration gets added at the end. There's something really strange going on with Welcome to Wherever You Are with the orchestrated songs because they're actually all in the same room together playing. You've got the band in there. You've got the band in there in the studio, I mean, which no longer exists. That studio no longer exists now, which is a shame. Um, I can't remember the name of the studio now. Is it Rhino Studios or something? And... um, so you've got the band there performing live with the orchestra there as well, live. So you've got that interaction between the stu- So it's not as, you know, not as the same sort of feel. You've got the, you know, the back and forth of the orchestra responding or the, well, the conductor of the orchestra responding according to what the band are doing. Yeah. So if the band will suddenly do something that a, norm- a normal live band would do, you know, they'd like do something a bit strange it to be emphasized then by the orchestration like so you'll get like a like a like a trill or something in the like a, like that mm-hmm. that sort of like pulls that out um so really the orchestrated songs like baby don't cry and um what else have you got on there that's got the orchestration on uh men and women as well that's at the end of the orchestration as well there's just something very different about listening to those songs that as a as a life to the song, and a lot of those songs have that life on that album because they are just let's just get these songs done. Let's not waste time on too many overdubs. Let's just yep. 
get the bare bones and um and uh, for, for want of a better phrase, let's give these some songs the, some balls. And that's what uh, you appreciate in uh, this album, the fact that it is a little bit more uh, raw, I guess, in terms of the way they've done it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I like, I do really like the production of uh, Mark Opitz as well. I think it's incredible. Okay. Um, let's get into your next my, one. My, my head's full of useless trivia. <laughs> oh, well, it's not useless. It's uh, obviously as we're putting it to good use now, so... <laughs> Next album, number four, and one of my favourites. Okay. Arguably one of the greatest debut albums of all time. Yeah, I have to agree. So we're talking about? this. We are talking about the first, you know, self-titled Van Halen album, um, <laughs> which is just, I mean, that that is a live album, essentially. Yeah. It brings back memories when when I've listened to it. It brings back memories of like the, the Beatles' first album, uh, "Please Please Me," which was also technically a live album as well. There's just something about albums that are or music that's recorded there without anything added to it that has this incredible power that is almost taken away from. I, I remember a I remember a quote going back to the Beatles from John Lennon where he was saying that when they went into the studio and they were making records, it didn't have the same sound as when they performed live because there was this immediacy, which in the first Van Halen album, you've got it right there immediately. You've got that power with, you know, eruption Eruption, and (laughs) uh, that absolutely cracking cover version of You've Really Got Me, You've Got, you know... I mean, you've even got Dave Lee Roth on there on guitar at the beginning of Ice Cream Man doing the acoustic guitar. And <laughs> yep. and then when the band come in and take over, it's just like, it's almost like this wall of, you know, I mean, there's only three musicians there. Yeah. Then essentially, you know, the guitar, the bass and the drums. But you've got this enormous power, like, boom, like that. It hits you. And it, it's almost like, a, it's almost like a storm has hit you. You know, you, you go in head, head first into a storm of sound or, it's there's just so much power in that album that yeah it's an incredible album from start to finish that even to this day you know because it was 19 late 1970s it came out yeah. so over 40 years later it still has that immediacy about it that urgency about it that's all throughout the whole album well you're looking at um running with the devil and ain't talking about yeah. love um, I had that album and I also had David Lee Roth's Skyscraper album, uh, in, well, the year that Skyscraper came out. Uh, it was my- Better f- album than people might think, by the way. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And I had a, I had, um, Van Halen. I had this album and I had Skyscraper on cassette mm-hmm. and I used to play them back to back in my little Celica on the way to uni. So, <laughs> um, and again, this, this is music that brings back a, Part of my, well, I won't say childhood, but my my uh, uh, young adulthood, and you know, whenever I hear that music, it takes me back to that summer and just starting uni, and the music, yeah, that really resonates. And and like I said, it's just a, it's a killer album. But they they know what they're doing with the songs. They've you know they've played the bars, they've done all these gigs before. Yeah. They've, they've got all these songs home to perfection. It's it's like a lot of bands' first albums. Uh, where they'll just be full of 
there's almost like a magic to them where they've got those songs so perfect that they can just go in and go, there they are. There's the songs done them because they know what they're doing. And then you have the difficult second author. Second album is, you know, you, you've got some songs left over that you didn't use on the first album. Oh God, I've got to write, I've got to write, some, write some more songs more. to top, <laughs> build this up a bit. You know, yeah. we've only got like four or five songs. We've got to write another five or six and see what's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's got that first album thing to it all. Although I will say the second album, you know, which is also self-titled, Van yes. Halen yes. 2. Two, yeah, yeah. That, that also has that sort of thing to it as well, because a lot of those songs are from the past as well. So they knew a lot of those songs going in as well. So they were just able to go and plug in and go, yeah, here's these songs that we've had for years. Let's just do them. And so the second album as well is a cracking follow-up, but it's, it's, it's not Van Halen 1. I had a discussion with someone about this a while back in terms of best albums and things like that. And uh, they were talking about they liked Van Halen too. And I still mm-hmm. can't think you – I still don't think you can actually put Van Halen 2 up against Van Halen 1 purely because of the songs we've already mentioned. They're, they're classics. Like you've got Bottoms Up and uh, Out of Love Again, but they're not, they're not songs that come to mind – not like you know, running with the devil or, or or eruption, like you know, or ain't talking about love or anything like that. They're they're classic Van Halen songs, and uh, so Van Halen one I still think is yeah, way stronger. I I, I want the um, I want the demo recording they did in the eighties with no in the seventies of Out of Love Again that was produced. The demo was produced by Gene Simmons. Oh really? I want, I want a copy of that demo. Oh, okay. No, yeah. that, I didn't know they. Oh, that's fantastic. That, that'd, that'd be great. Yeah, I want them to release that to the public because you know you've got all sorts of songs there. And you mean, I mean, there you've even got songs like um, oh, there's one that they had on the, the album 1984 that finished it off, which was actually an album from those sessions in the late 70s that that they never ended up actually recording until the 1984 album because they didn't have enough material for that album. So um, there's a version of that that's on that demo as well. I can't remember the name of the song now. Is it I'm on fire or something? I'm not sure. All I remember from that album is Jump uh, and Hot for Teacher. Yes, so does everybody else. <laughs> yeah, so they're probably uh, uh, the only ones I remember from that, that album as such. But uh, oh, What's that song at the end? House I'm of Pain? myself now. Is it House of Pain? Yes, that's it, House of Pain. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of course I'm on, on fire. Is um, yeah, is the end of Van Halen one, isn't it? Of course. Yes. Um, but yeah, House of Pain. Yeah, that is actually from the uh, a song from the late seventies that was on those original demos. Okay. Ah, very good. Um, in terms of lead singers after David Lee Roth left, what are your opinions on you know people like Sammy Hagar or? Uh, what was the other guy? Uh, there was a guy from Extreme. You know, this is a hot topic, don't it? It is. <laughs> it is a very hot topic. It really is. Um, <sighs> Thing is, I'm going to be answering this question, then be, I'm going to have hate as well. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? Because I, I actually think sudden, suddenly lose my uh, lose my audience. I, I like um, I like Sammy. Yeah, I'll, I'll go on record and say that I do like Sammy. Um, I think he was what they needed at that point. Um, I think uh, For Unlawful, Carnal Knowledge is an underrated and overlooked album. Yep, I agree. Um, and I think that's also the best of the albums that they did with 
with Sammy. It was when they got to a period where they were they worked perfectly together, so you had the perfect because you you know the thing is, you know, people are, people are comparing it. It's, it's the same thing again where we were talking about, you know, ACDC, where you're comparing one to the other in the company. But in this case, they are completely different. Yeah. And Sammy is a classic rock singer. I yeah. mean, you know, the first album from Montrose, which uh, Sammy was a, the lead singer of, that is also an incredible album. If, if you like the first Van Halen album, I'll put this out there that you will love the first Montrose album. I haven't heard that. Um, that very similar. You've also got the same engineer and producer. Okay. On both. Yep. Uh, so you've got Ted Templeman producing the first Montrose album and Don Landy is the engineer on the first Montrose album. And as the same people that recorded Van Halen, the first Van Halen, it's got a very similar feel to it. And um, that's in your face as an album as well. So you've got on there um, uh, Bad Motor Scooter and Space Station Number 5 and, you know, classic Montrose mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sammy, you've got a classic rock singer there, you know, hard rocking singer that's gone in there. And and really, in a way, uh, when Sammy joined them and they did, you know, the 5150. Yeah. It's almost like a way they've taken Sammy out of his comfort zone because really the synths and everything that you've got on there, like, you know, the, um, why can't this, well, you know, not on that one, you've got, is it, why can't this be love? Oh, yeah. I think yeah that's yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah. Um, which famously a friend of mine, Jonah Mantranga from the band Far, he absolutely hates that song. Um, it's got a great, sorry, Jonah. <laughs> it's, it's got a great film clip too, actually. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, but in a way, you've 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 taken Sammy out of his thing there because he's going into a more pop situation there with the synths. Yeah, because it's not something that he'd be used to either in songs. You know, I mean, you listen to Sammy's album from around that period because he made an album solo, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got Eddie Van Halen on there as well. Actually, Eddie plays bass. Oh, Eddie used to argue that he played some guitar on there as well, but it's not credited. Okay, and that's a fabulous album. Um, that's changed its name over the years because it was, I think it was just called, I think it was just called Sammy Agar or something back in the day. And I think they've changed it to something like Where Eagles Fly or something since then. Ah, okay, yeah. Fantastic album. If you can find that album that's got Where Eagles Fly and that on, that's, that is a standout Sammy Agar album. Um, so, um, yep, yeah, I like, I like both. Um, um, Gary Sharon, Extreme. Oh, that's one of my Gary favorite bands. Extreme. It's it's a different it's a different kettle of fish altogether because it is, yeah. Extreme are an incredible band, incredible band. We we used to, we used to do um, we used to do Cupid's Dead live. Oh, oh really? Um, okay, I would yeah, never we used to do that live, which is um, not not an easy song to do. I will say it's three sides to yeah, every especially story, as a tr- especially as a trio where you've got to sing it at the same time. Yeah. Um, well, that that's where I thought you you might like them because you the bands that you like. Uh, there's a lot of harmonizing, uh, and really good harmonizing, yeah. obviously. And they, for me, there's a big queen influence, I think, with some of their music. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. that's, uh, yeah, they, again, uh, whenever I think of their music from, uh, porno graffiti or three sides to every story or the original yeah. self-titled album, uh, which I had to go back yeah. and listen to. The first album I listened to was porno graffiti. The harmonies and also the fact that they are such good 
uh, musicians, although uh, their drummer, um, the, I, I like their first drummer, and I think he knew his place in the band when they lost. Uh, I can't remember his name, but and they got the new drummer in. The new drummer, I think, took over a little bit, and there was a bit too much of him in some yep. of their music in waiting for the punchline. Yep. Um, yeah, waiting for the punchline. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, we used to do cynical as well. Oh, really? Oh, fantastic. That's great. Waiting for the punchline. Yeah, that's great to hear. So, look, I, I really love that band, but uh, uh, I don't think Gary Terrain was a fantastic. Like, I, I think Sammy Hagar was a better singer than David Lee Roth, but I think David Lee Roth was a better front man. And I don't think yes. that's. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a contentious yep. uh, opinion, really, but it's one that I always talk okay, about. Gary Sharon, um, Gary Sharon, unfortunately. Gary Sharon. Um, fantastic singer. I mean, they, they do a beautiful version of Love of My Life, mm. the Queen song, um, which is a B-side on uh, Wholehearted. He's a great voice, but for some reason, I didn't think, didn't think that he was a very good fit for Van Halen. No, I agree. I agree. I don't Just think it was a great didn't fit. didn't work for some reason, and I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, well, is that... No, I was just going to say, well, that's going to be something I'll probably ask you about a little bit further on in the countdown in terms of uh, other frontmen that have come into certain bands, but we'll, we'll leave that for the countdown uh, when we get to number it. Number one. <laughs> yes, exactly right. N- number one is actually number one is actually my favourite album of all time. Okay, very good. And, and that's surprising as well, but I'll we'll get there in a second. We're, we'll just finish Van Halen. Let's get to your next one, your number three. And and the, there's not many bigger albums than this, I guess. So I've already sort of hinted at this, where <laughs> a lot of people will a lot of people will say that Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Arts Club Band is the better is the best Beatles album. Yeah. But here I've actually picked my favourite Beatles album, which is the White Album, and I've picked that because of the variety that's on there. I remember um, I saw the Beatles anthology back when it first came out in the nineties. And um I remember this sequence where they were talking about the White Album and, you know, George Martin was saying it would have made a better single album because, it, you know, it's famously a double album and it's just mm-hmm. an all-white cover with the Beatles embossed on the cover. And, and then you go on the back and you've, um, back in the day, you actually have numbers for whichever copy it was, which I've not got rid of one of my original copies from the 60s now. And so um I think I had something like 1,036 or something. Okay. You don't have it anymore? No, I don't have that on vinyl anymore, and I wish oh, I did. Yeah, oh, and, um, I'm actually re- restarting my vinyl collection. Fully yeah. enough, I think I've got 100, 150 vinyl albums that downstairs that need putting putting into here behind me. New jackets, yep, <laughs> yep. They they are all they are in jackets actually. Okay, so, good. Um, yeah, they're all protected. We're good. So the the Beatles, so. George, George Martin said it would have made a better single album and, and Paul McCartney famously said, look, it's the Beatles white album. Shut up. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and in essence is right because Paul's argument for it is, yeah, if you, you could cut it down and make it into one of, make it into one of the greatest albums of all time, single final. But what makes that album what it is, is the variety that's going on there. And you've got songs from all four of them there. You know, you've got, you've got the almost country-ish sort of uh, Ringo Starr song with Don't Pass Me By. Um, you've got proto heavy metal there with um, Helter Skelter 
which is Paul's song. And, you know, mm. a lot of my friends who I've said that to before, you know, they said, didn't realize that was Paul. Mm. And, um, they thought that was John Lennon because he's got a very John Lennon plastic ono band feel to it, I suppose. Um, and then you've got a lot of George on there. You know, you've got while my guitar gently weeps by Paul, by John, George. I mean, on there, uh, you've got dear prudence by John, which I think is an outstanding song. I love the, um, I particularly love the, uh, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going into the, going into the, going into the, you know, ear, you know, the, the little theory thing here, but I like the, um, the way that he descends on the chords and he's got that, he's got the drone of the, the D underneath because the, he's got it in an open tuning on the guitar and so, or they've got it in detuned. If, if it's like a D on the, uh, the bass string and the, on the top string as well. So I think it's okay. like a dad kind of something. Uh, tuning, you know, if you, if, if you want to really go into you know, guitar <laughs> tuning, um, showing that I'm a geeky. Oh, um, so, um, it's all right. So, um, you, you've got all, all that variation on there. And then, I mean, I mean, I even, I even like Revolution 9. <laughs> well, that, that's a pretty sort of, uh, uh, commonly used, uh, sound bite, I guess. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Out of that, out of that song. I think that what there's a big Ravi influence on this album as well, isn't there? Yeah. There's no actual Indian instrument or is there Indian instrumentation? There's not much Indian instrumentation on there, but it's very influenced by Indian. Um, so you've got, um, Indian, um, uh, progressions going yeah. on, uh, in the music. Uh, like, like I said, with the, you know, Dear Prudence, mm. and you've got a lot of drones going on there, which is a huge thing in Indian music. Yeah, you have exactly. a drone yeah. in the background. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you might have a C droning in the background in, in Indian music. You'll have the Tambura playing like a, like a C drone or a G drone or whatever yes. in the background. And then everything else works itself around that. It's a lot like ambient music in a way where you have like a, a vibe that starts it and everything works around that. Mm. What can I compare it to? Um, I could compare it to somebody like um, uh, F- Philip Glass, okay. where his music, you will find Philip Glass and St- Steve Reich to a, to a degree, uh, where their classical music is, that's based on something where it starts one way and you don't realise it, but there has been a change through the music to the end it's very slight change, but if you listen to the beginning and listen to the end separately, you can tell that there's a change there that's taken place, but it's based on that, you know, uh, same sort of, sort of thing where it starts one way and it builds, shall we say, throughout the piece there. You didn't expect me, you didn't expect me to, to name check Philip Glass and Steve Reich there, did you? No, I didn't actually, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I see what you mean. And, and that's why I asked about Ravi actually, because that's the sort of uh, feeling I get from a lot of the, the music on that album, although there's, there's, there's stuff that's completely different, but I do get that sort of a, a feel. Uh, and I know that I, was it John or, or Paul that was friends with Ravi Shankar? That would be George, actually. Was it, oh, was it George? Because, okay, sorry. You know, again. George famously plays sitar, doesn't he? Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a big Beatles 
fan, I guess so. <laughs> but uh, I knew there was a connection there somehow, and that's again sort of the. the Plus, most of the songs were written in India as well. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah, because they went on the they went on the retreat, didn't they? They went on the retreat for for about a month or so. Okay. The four Beatles and um, other people on the on the retreat were Donovan, famously, yep, the guitarist, folk singer. Uh, Donovan was there. Um, What's uh, Mia Farrow was there with her sister, Prud- with her sister Prudence, Prudence and, you know, yeah. dear Prudence. Um, and uh, Mike Love was there as well from the Beach Boys because that's where Mike Love started. You know where he. Because he's he's famously a an, an outspoken you know person of uh, you know that talks about Indian religion and um, okay he 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 did, he did an entire album based on called Transcendental Meditations okay yes I have heard of that one very famous yeah yeah and um, so uh, I mean there you know you've got an uncredited co-write there because you know back in the USSR it was co-written with Mike Love. Because you, you've got the uh, you've got the middle eight, haven't you? You know, well, well, the Ukraine girls really knock me out, and all that, and, and all the that, that's co-written with um, with Mike Love that section. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. You okay. can hear it. You, you can hear the Beach Boys in that section, really, if you think about it. Oh well, yeah, it's very that that same sort of meter, I guess, in terms of the way that they um, they phrase as well in a lot of their music. Yeah, it's got a very. Um, Actually, that bit, the middle eight on there, is very similar to the the chorus on Good Vibrations, you know, for me to... Yeah. I'm picking up Good Vibrations. Yeah, exactly, that same, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, I never thought about it like that, but now that you point it out, it makes a lot more sense. You've got the Beach Boys-esque harmonies behind it as well. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. That bit. Well, it seems obvious now that you point it out, so... (laughs) Not very cool. Not fantastic. All right, well, let's get to number two, all this... Yeah, you know, uh, what whatever one's next, which is oh okay. <laughs> You're not going to get much love here from me. <laughs> Sorry. Put on the tracks by Bob Dylan, the greatest Bob Dylan album. Uh, is is there a good Bob Dylan album? Sorry, I, I'm not a big fan. I know. I know there are lovers and haters. <laughs> I know that. And I know it's more about the lyrics with him a lot of times, but um, I just can't listen to that voice for very long. Mm, no, there's a vibe to the songs though on, on Blood on the Tracks where it's what can I say? Bob Dylan, he infamously doesn't like people to. He likes to just go in there with the songs and then say, "Well, I, I wrote this song, and let's see where it goes," <laughs> and then. They would start recording straight away, so the, the the people are sort of like trying to pick up what to do, which is why you know you've got the um, on the, an earlier album you've got uh, like a Rolling Stone where the organ is a bit late. Okay, because he's just started. trying to work it out. Yeah, yeah. They've got, but they've got a vibe. You know what I mean? They've got a vibe on that recording. He's like, shoot you the light, saying, "Oh, well, you're almost there. You've got it." And then Bob, goes, I like that as it is. You know, I can't yeah. do a Bob Dylan impression. <laughs> I mean, pr- people probably can. People can and people do. Yeah, it's very unique. Well, you know, so it starts with, you know, um, uh, so you've got Simple Twist of Fate at the beginning and um, You're Going to Make Me Lonesome When You Go, um, Lily, Rosemary and Time. And, uh, oh, no, it's not that one. No, it's, um, oh, what's that one? It's just so many great songs and vibes throughout the album. I didn't realise, actually, that it, took so long to make the album and the 
actually some of the songs were tried and then they tried them again months later to get a different vibe because he's like, oh, I, I, actually, I've listened back and I didn't like that vibe. Let's try that again. And, okay. and it, it, it'd like mix up the instrumentation to see. So he might go off the guitar and go onto the piano or something for a song. And it, so what started as like a piano song, you might think, no, let's see if this sounds better on the, this, the guitar is the main instrument or it mix it up and whatever. And I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize that he's probably quite experimental in mm. a sense. Yeah. I suppose, which is a weird thing to say about Bob Dylan. Yeah. But you listen to Bob Dylan now and he doesn't sound like Bob Dylan of the 1960s. As, as, a, as an aside, the two albums that he made with, uh, with Daniel Lanois, even though they famously, you know, butted heads. Those two albums he made with, Dan, with the producer Daniel, Daniel Lamoir, they are incredible and very um, different because he's yeah. got all sorts of samples and all sorts of things going on in those that you wouldn't think with Bob Dylan. You'd think, oh, it's acoustic and guitar, and he's got mm. a microphone, he's got an harmonica stuck on a on a harness. That's folksy um, sort of thing. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, well, look, maybe it's worth me branching out and giving give him another listen just to. See if there's something different that I can pick up this time and maybe appreciate a little bit more. I, I won't tell that hope for that one, just in case. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> You're probably right there too. So, <laughs> but you can have a go. Have a go. <laughs> I will. Why don't we take a quick break and I'll let you get a drink of water and come back in a second. All right. Well, look, I've got some questions for you, if you don't mind, just some little questions. Quick questions that we can maybe delve into your personality a little bit more with. And, uh, there's nothing too outrageous there. If you want to listen to these and give me your, your first response and we'll take it from there and then we'll, we'll, okay. uh, explore your number one. But firstly, favorite drink. Now it can be alcoholic or not. Um, favorite hot drink. I like, I like a nice coffee. I'm not nice. to drink too much coffee. To okay. be honest. Yes, well, uh, you're coffee al- brother. Alcoholic. Pardon? Uh, I said I'm a coffee brother. I, I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, probably. I probably have too much. That's probably why I'm hyped up a lot uh, most of the time. All that caffeine. <laughs> um, alcoholic. Ooh, I do like. Um, I normally drink uh, like a whiskey. Probably, I quite like whiskey. Okay. Um, so you know, and I, I mean that by by lots of forms. So you know, I love. I'm quite happy to try and have a bit of a single malt, not to the same sort of degree that I drink. Uh, that I drink bourbon. I mean, bourbon. I do. I do like a nice bourbon, like uh, uh, Jack Daniels or okay, know, and uh, Jim Beam, and um, yeah. And uh, if if I'm having like a pint, I, I might have a pint of uh, of stout, yeah, perhaps. Although I've drunk bitter before now, and um, I sound like an alcoholic here, and, um, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm nowhere near an alcoholic. Well, you've got a favourite. Although saying that, we did have a really, we did have a really nice rosé last last week with with the dinner. Ah, oh, nice, very good. So you've got a few favourites, lovely. Um, what's something that really makes you mad? Something that really makes me mad. Do you know what? That's a tough question. I try not to get mad. Um, <laughs> doesn't doesn't always work. We'll be honest. Um, it can be poor driving or anything like that. <laughs> Oh God, I hate people's driving sometimes. It's terrible <laughs> because, of course, you know, I, I, I drive for a living. Exactly, that's so, why I said it. <laughs> you know, so my, my job is driving. So 
you know, I, um, I do all the things. So I'll, I'll reverse into parking spaces, you know, yeah, perfect. Um, I suppose you could say I'm a bit anal about, about, you know, doing that, you know, parking it properly and then, and then proper maneuvers in the roads and things. I get irritated when people do things that are, that are crazy. Like, um, I get to work sometimes and one of the other guards is he famously drives the, drives the work van straight into the parking space. You have to reverse out. And it just really irritates the hell out of me. And I think they do it on purpose. <laughs> Cause they know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Look, I, I people got- stupid driving that bugs me. Yeah, I'm with you there. I hate people that don't use their indicator. So, <laughs> yes. All right, favorite movie. Although I do have an electrical fault on my car, that means that occasionally the flipping the uh, indicator does not work. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie of all time is Singing in the Rain. Oh, Gene Kelly and um. Debbie, Debbie Reynolds? Yes, Gene Kelly and uh, Fred Astaire? No. Um, Gene no, Kelly and... No, Donald O'Connor. Donald O'Connor. So, uh, yeah. yep, Gene Kelly, um, Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds, who is famously the mother of uh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, exactly. I was going to say, sorry. Yes. I was, think- I was thinking of Princess Leo. I couldn't think of her real name. <laughs> there you go. So- <laughs> But I, I love that movie too. I, I, as I, I referenced before on the podcast, I was brought up by my grandparents. So I watched a lot of musicals and things like that. Uh, and listened to a lot of show tunes and things like that in the car. Uh, and my grandfather being a big uh, band fanatic because he was a slight trombone player, we listened to a lot of Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, singing in the rain and a lot of Bob Hope movies. Yeah, it was, it was always sort of, uh, on TV at our house. So great dancing in that movie. I, int- I introduced Louise to musicals, I think, actually. Okay. Yeah, very she, cool. she wasn't much into them because she had, she just had this idea that this, that, you know, that was in a, or that was within her where, you know, people are just sort of like, we're talking and that, I mean, really a lot of musicals do do it, but she just thought that it was a bit, they, they just seemed a bit weird, so she'd not try them. And then I think I introduced it to musicals through Singing in the Rain as well. And I tried to, yeah, because I tried to explain um, the intricacies of what the film's about because mm. it's, you know, the, the whole story of it is just, you know, fascinating. It's, you know, it's, it's like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, years before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, to my opinion, because it's a film about a specific period in Hollywood history. Yes. I mean, it, essentially, it was a period piece. Yes. When it was made. Because it was about a period 30, 40 years before when films yep. transitioned from silent movies to talking pictures. And that's the whole thing of the film. And, you know, and um, so that's why I say, you know, it's a bit like, you know, Once Upon a Time in, in, in Hollywood where, you know, Quentin Tarantino is looking at a period earlier on in Hollywood history and film history. And so there's a similarity there to that point. Definitely. Singing the Rain would be a lot more cultured, though. <laughs> so. Yes. Less, less bad language. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, they, also, did Donald O'Connor run up a wall and do a backflip in that that movie? He did. That's yes. right. And I the, do remember that. And then the guy tried to do the same thing in uh, The Full Monty. Oh, really? I can't remember that, actually. <laughs> But uh, that would be funny. I have seen the full Monty. I just don't remember that. 
when he's auditioning and he says, Oh, I can do, I can do that running up the wall. Like, of course, I'm yes. singing in the rain. And then he falls flat on his arms. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, I do remember that now. Okay. Very good. You know, I'm a brick. Cause I just, you know, I'm a brick. Cause I just said arse. Sorry. You know, oh. you know, I'm a brick because I just said arse. Well, I say arse as well. So, but then again, we, exactly, yeah. we're colonials. It's I guess, an Australian so. and British yeah. thing, isn't it? It is. <laughs> um, all right. So what's the, uh, worst bad habit that you have? If you have one, Louise would say that I can be very vague at times, and I can see where she's coming from. <laughs> um, I'm I'm trying to be a bit sort of like quick and to the point, but without being too explanatory. And sometimes I need to be a bit more explanatory to so that people can understand what the hell I'm on about. Okay. And then what? when I'm doing podcast, I have a, I have a I, I waffle on a bit and. Uh, so this really good editing occasionally used. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel you there. I'm. Uh, yeah, I do the same. So, what would be your favourite movie genre? I'm a big fan of science fiction, which stems from you know watching re- repeats of um, Star Trek when they repeated it in the late seventies, and also from childhood I remember um, um, the original Battlestar Galactica. Yes. And to go into that subject, I will say that I like both versions of Star Galactica. I think the modern version or the most recent version is brilliant. And um, Star, Star Trek uh, thing there as well, because Link there, because Ronald D. Moore created the new version of Star Galactica started in Star Trek as a writer. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I remember, you know, um, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Buck Rogers. And uh, only, year, only, year, only years later did I realise that it was in colour. Yeah, well, yes. Well, we had so it we, here we in colour. We, didn't t- we only had a black and white television in the uh, in the early 80s and the late 70s. No, I, we, we had a, we had a colour uh, TV, and I remember, what's the girl's name out of that? They used to wear the lycra jumpsuits all the time. Uh Erin Gray. Erin yes. Gray, yes. Who played who played Wilma Deering. And yes. she's still beautiful now. Yeah, she was gorgeous even back then when I was uh, young, but I thought, hmm, <laughs> she wears a jumpsuit really well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Logan's Run, did you ever watch any Logan's Run? I, I even saw a couple of episodes of the attempted series as well of that. Okay. Um, they attempted to make a television series of it, and it didn't last very long. And, uh, well, Logan's run there, you know, you've got the, uh, <clears throat> shall we say, you know, the, uh, the, the, the image of, um, oh, what's her name? I, what's the actor's name? Jenny Agatha. Is that, yeah. Okay. Now that rings a bell now that you say it. You, you, yes. <clears throat> you've, got, you've got the side boob. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, so I mentioned Logan's run to a lot of people and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah, which is, okay. which is weird, but, um, I guess it was quite a while ago now. Yeah. But, uh, the day the earth stood still and War of the worlds are two of the best 1950s films. Yeah. I, I like the original. I'm not so keen on the Keanu Reeves, uh, Keanu Reeves remake, although I do like Keanu Reeves. I, I just don't think that. I remake, like Keanu, but I've never seen that. You haven't seen the new one. Okay. No. No, it's uh no the the original black and white. That's yeah, definitely I think a better movie. And War of the Worlds, I actually do like the Tom Cruise one. Uh I think that's actually a really good remake. Yeah. I, I actually think that Tom Cruise has made a lot of really good films. Yeah, I'm a Tom Cruise fan. Um 
outside of mm. all the Scientology stuff, um, I I love his movies. Yeah. I think they're great. Mm. Yep. I think uh, Minority Report is a cracking film. Yep. Bit dark, the way it was uh, shot, unfortunately, but... Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I like the Mission Impossible or, or Impossible Mission film, though I have Mission Impossible films. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Although saying that, when he did the Jack Reach films, he's basically doing a version of the same character. Of the same character, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, he just knocked me when we saw it because we went to go and see the first Jack Reacher film and uh, it irritated me because um, that film is based on uh, my favourite favorite Lee Child book, One Shot. That's that's what the book was. Okay. Um, and I, um, I hated the film because it, in a way, because it, it took away something that... So the film of that, like, like I said, you know, you know, film. I, I, I like I like all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I've got an open mind to things. So, the book, um, the character of Jack Reacher, doesn't actually be- actually believes. He believes that the um, that the person that he that is the accused. He actually believes for the majority of the book. I mean, you know, spoiler: the book's been been out for twenty years. <laughs> I um, think you're right. <laughs> yep, yeah, I think we're fine. So. The the thing with the with the story in the book is that for the majority of the book, Jack Reacher actually believes the person who's accused is actually guilty mm-hmm. of the crime. Okay. Of the assassination. Um and and then there's this this bit towards the end of the towards about three quarters of the way through the book, there's a sudden realization from him where 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 Reacher's like, Do you know what? He couldn't actually have done this crime. And it's that, you know, it's like that there that that's that's really interesting to me because it's like it's like a twist, a bit like you know, good like one of the decent M. Night Shyamalan films. Yeah. It's a good twist. In the film version, he actually his character, Jack Reacher, actually thinks that the accused is innocent from the beginning. So to me, they've actually lost something in doing that, which was an integral part to what made the book interesting because you got so far through and then suddenly there's a twist he turns the story on its head yeah where he realizes the main character realizes that actually that's not how it was so to me i think they lost something translating it to film and losing that um that sort of twist towards the end in, in a way you know it's almost dangerous to go and watch a film where you've read the book first oh yeah you always let down you will go and look at the film. I mean, I mean, you know, some some people go and watch these Marvel films, and they'll go, "Oh, you know, you know, Marvel, you know, Captain America: Civil War is nothing like the comic book we had." This, that, and yeah. the other. And they'll they'll never be exactly the same. No, of course no, not. Nothing will ever be the same. It will always be a um, adaptation. Yeah, it's always the extreme fanboys that crack it. You know, they they're unhappy with the way things have been portrayed because they're not canon, or they're not exactly yeah. the way that, like you said, they're portrayed in the the comic books, but. They're an adaptation. There's limitations when you're making a real movie compared to a comic book. So um, you just enjoy it for what it is and move on. But Tom Cruise also famously, he has some incredible people working around him quite a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. So you'll you'll have a film like, um, I think Rain Man is a fantastic film. Yep. Yep. I love the film Rain Man. Yep. Um, Yep. And I think both of the leads in that are absolutely perfect. I think Tom is perfect in the character he, he's portraying. But but then he's playing opposite Dustin Hoffman. Yes. 
And so you've got him playing opposite Dustin Hoffman in that, in The Colour of Money, you've got him playing opposite <sighs> the, the great Paul Newman. Yeah. Um, you've got him playing opposite in two films, he's playing opposite Robert Duvall. Yes. Uh, you know, who is one of the great actors as well. I mean, Robert Duvall in uh, Apocalypse Now is, is just, that is iconic. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I love this man, Nate Palm in the morning. morning. Yeah. That is just, you know, he is one of the great actors. And, um, that is a thunder. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, he's, it's almost a shame, really, because people will then, even Brian Brown in uh, in Cocktail. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brian Brown is an incredibly good actor. He is, yep, definitely. I have to agree He's there. Fabulous actor. Um, probably the only good thing about Paul McCartney's film, Give My Regards to Broad Street. I don't think and, I've seen um, it. <laughs> yeah, avoid it. Okay. Um, <laughs> great performances, but lousy story. Okay. And, um, and, um, you could arguably say that Paul McCartney was was the least good at acting from the Beatles, probably. So, um, where, where I was going with that was the fact that sometimes Tom Cruise can be looked down on because he's being compared to the people that's, that he's in films with. It's a bit like when he did Minority Report, he's got Steven Spielberg with him as a filmmaker. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? So mm. he's... He's got these people around him and people don't realize how good Tom Cruise is because he's got these other people who are, you know, incredible actors around him and people look to them. I mean, even when he's been in films with Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman is a, is an incredible actress, really good actress, you know, but so even there he's sort of almost overshadowed by his own ex-wife in those films as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, What's uh, what's the best piece of fashion advice you've ever received? It's an odd question, but I think... Best piece of what advice? Fashion advice. Best piece of fashion advice. <laughs> That's all right. That's fine. Ma- Marv, don't wear, don't, wear, don't wear a bowler. Don't wear a what? Don't, don't wear a bowler. A bowler. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. No, nobody's ever told me that. Nobody's <laughs> ever told me that. I don't know. I've never really been given fashion advice. Um, okay. Oh, well, um, Louise obviously likes you just the way you are. She does. She does. <laughs> Very yeah. good. Yeah. Although, although I, I have far too many T-shirts. <laughs> uh, what sort of T-shirt collection that <laughs> is? Is it music, like bands? Um, mixture. So I've got music uh, and bands and and then I've also got like films yep. and um, comic strip based ones, you know. So there's lots, yes. heck of a lot of Marvel t-shirts, um, and then all sorts of other things as well. Some some jokey pod Tintin. I haven't got any Tintin. I had no. a Tintin t-shirt. Although, I'd, <laughs> although I actually quite like the film, in a sense. But I would li- I would like them to make a better second film. Yes. Yeah. I understand. The, the animation, the animation was incredible. Animation was good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They just, yeah. yeah. They just needed a better story. Yeah. I don't think they did it justice, unfortunately, with the story, but, uh, the animation was, yeah, it was, was spot on. That was pretty good. All right. Um, what's, what's the most important advice you could give someone who is just starting out with their podcast now, today? What would you go up to them and say, make sure you do this or you don't do this? Make sure that you 
have a basic idea of what you're going to do before you do it. Um, so if you're going to be a general chit chat show where you just chat about anything, make sure that you know that that's what you're going to do. Yep. And, um, you know, and, and also as a, as an aside, as a thing that's joined onto that, do something that is you be yourself in these shows. So it's got to be something that you are interested in and so that you can actually talk about these things for long. Although famously, you know, if, if you look at my editing, I don't, I don't talk as much in my show as everybody else because they're the guests. Exactly. Um, but you know, so you've got to, so you've got to approach it knowing what you're doing and who you are and put that person across in that idea and in the show that you're doing. Because I mean, all the technical, all the technical thing, like the, the, the microphones and, you know, the recording and that you, you can, you can upgrade all that as you go along. You can start with the basic, you know, little microphone that plugs into your laptop to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say don't, don't use the microphone that's actually built into your computer most of the time. If, if, if you can get away with that, don't do that because it's not the greatest of sound, but you know, microphones that plug into your computer, they, they come at, you know, you can, you can get them for a relatively cheap price to start with. And you've got that distance as well then between where the microphone is and where your laptop is. So, cause if you use the laptop mic, you will pick up sound from your laptop more yeah. than you will from a mic that's actually further away from your, from your computer or your laptop. Yeah, definitely. So, so build it from there, buy a cheap microphone to start with. And then go from there and build it up and to eventually, you know, you might, you might be able to, with a bit more money, eventually get a, like me, I'm going to eventually put a, put an interface in and, and have a mixing desk so that it's actually, you know, so it's separate and yep. not plugged directly in like it is now. Yep. Definitely. Oh, fantastic. Uh, sage advice, I dare say. And, uh, I think research helps as well. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. If, if, if you know who you're, who the person that you're talking with, uh, in, in this type of show, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of podcasts, you, you know, there's people who yep. don't do this sort of show. They do like a, you know, like, you know, but if you're doing this format where you're talking with people, make sure that you have a little bit of knowledge of who those people are first. Cause yep. I mean, that's why I listen to exactly. people's shows. Yep. Me too. I, I famously listened to a few episodes before I talk to anybody yep. at all. Uh, because I like to know who I'm talking to and where I'm, and then I can, I can sort of know how to, before I go into it, in a way, I've got a set thing where I know where I'm going to sort of go and where I might expect certain things to, to lead and, and I can sort of like lead the conversation that way as well if I wanted. Wait, you can, you can ask more pertinent questions. If you, you have more of yeah. a, an idea of who the people are and what they do. Um, and I'm like you, I, I listen to, uh, uh, a number of episodes for anyone that I'm considering to, to ask to come on the show because, uh, I think it's rude not to as well. And it's lazy. Uh, if you don't do some sort of research in terms of having a, a guest on, that's probably why I don't do that many episodes. And I only do two interviews per month and two reviews a month because, uh, it just takes up a lot of time to do the proper research. Yeah. That, that plus when the conversations are gone for as long as this one is, <laughs> yeah. into two episodes. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that note, let's 
continue with your countdown. There's only one left. And uh, why don't you tell everyone what, uh, well, as we said, this wasn't in any particular order, but I think this was your number one because I I get the feeling that this is one of your favourite, if not your favourite band. Uh, tell everyone what your number one yep. Desert Island album is, please. Okay. And you're, you're going to transition from, from this and ask me that question, aren't you, is what I think. Which I think question? you know about you know about, about about the lead singer question, probably. Ah, yes, yes, I'd forgotten about that, but <laughs> I will ask you your opinion on a couple of oh, uh, fill-ins. Darn it! Okay, so my this is actually my favourite album of all time, and it's my favourite band as well. So um, yep. my favourite album of all time is Queen Two, the second Queen album, um, possibly the most progressive album of queen's uh career in in music style anyway because yeah. you've got all the um you've got songs like um march of the black queen which you know has got seven or eight different sections to it which go from one to the other to the other to the other and you think to yourself oh god how, how could you know how could freddie mercury have put all those bits together and you know <laughs> i try in vain to come up with pieces that are like that doesn't work um but you and it goes all all over the place musically you know even to like um oh well you've got um i think you've even got a bit i mean you know it starts with um yeah i'm trying to think i mean you've got seven seas of rye on there and like i said march of the black queen but you've you know you've also got um, a lot of you know um, I mean, you, you've pointed out the Sunday One Day, which I think is a beautiful song, but is overlooked. You know, uh, the Brian May song. Well, that's that's the, the first time that Brian May actually sang lead, isn't it? I think he sings lead on one of the songs on um, Queen One, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Because isn't that- he singing? Isn't he doing lead vocal vocal on the night comes down? Or something? Oh, I I can't remember. It's been a long time, and to be honest, my favourite albums from these guys is probably more like something like The Works or Kind of Magic, because I'm a big Highlander yes, fan as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, it's been a while since I listened to these two albums. You've got you've got me looking up on the internet now. <laughs> I, d- I don't know. I almost see this as. Um, you know, I've not not thought this before. I've only just thought of this, but essentially, this is the through line for you know from going from um, from uh, like the White Album with things like Happiness Is a Warm Gun, yeah, on there, and then you've got this with its progressive thing, and then and then that will eventually lead to to what you got on um, uh, OK Computer and the Bends by uh, by Radiohead, okay. where you've got those sort of you know those staggered. Um, uh, arrangements that are, that are famously on those two albums by Radiohead. Yep. And, um, Muse as well. Muse were very heavily influenced by Queen and by the Beatles. I hear in Someday One Day, uh, for me, when I, I, I listened to that song, cause I, again, re-listened to it, uh, uh, today, uh, that was one that I thought I could hear, you know, Paul or, uh, or John or someone singing yep. that song. Right, could it's, it's a very Paul McCartney esque yeah. um, um, piece. It's got Paul McCartney prog- uh, melody to it for sure. I think I think it's one of the most beautiful melodies that that, that Brian's actually written. To mm. be honest. Mm.
because Brian, Brian Brian's normally seen as the the, the metalhead, isn't he? The, yeah. you know, the hard rocker and tie him all down, and yeah. people overlook you know the fact that that he wrote some of the most sensitive Queen songs going with that, and then saved me and um, uh, of course he wants to live forever. That's Brian as well. Yes, yeah. Oh, I love that song. Oh, I love that album. That's and again, that's because it's tied to Highlander, which I really liked as well. So we, we want a Highlander soundtrack made available. Thanks. I, I want to. And the soundtrack. Oh, you uh, okay? So, but it hasn't been released. No. So they, they they took some songs from the Highlander film and made put them into the um, you know the kind of kind magic of magic. Album, yeah, yeah. But they and didn't release so, the soundtrack. But they didn't release an actual soundtrack to the Highlander film. Oh, okay. So you've not got the um, you've not got the really different way out there version of a kind of magic itself. Yeah. Available anywhere. Other than ah, on the okay. film, and it's okay. a very different song on the film. Yes, definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely. And then famously, well, I say famously, you know, you've got um, what what he sang New York, New York over the top of mm. on that became uh, Don't Lose Your Head on the uh, Kind of Magic album. Well, well it's it's funny, the uh, Kurgan's theme off that album is uh it's one of my favorite uh songs outside of you know princes of the universe but um and obviously That's my favorite song on the album actually yeah princes of the universe yeah, is my is. favorite song on the kind of magic yeah it was my favorite too but i, I do like kurgan's theme too because I, I i like that clancy brown intro great actor yeah very cool very good so uh so that's it that's uh your top 10 Desert Island albums. And like I said at the beginning, I think there's music for all moods there. Uh, it's obvious you appreciate good lyrics, great harmonies, and people that can play their instruments. It's, yeah, it's an eclectic uh, group of bands, but some of the biggest yeah. names, obviously, in music as well. So uh, a very cool top ten. Oh, I, there's one thing I have to ask you as well. We forgot about... A couple of things. First of all, what did you think about Adam Lambert fronting Queen? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not got a problem with Adam Lambert. I think Adam Lambert is um, an incredible singer mm-hmm. uh, and an incredible uh, performer. Um, but prefer George Michael. I actually do like. I actually did like. I am. I am a fan of George Michael. Actually, so am I. Um, I, I thought like, he did a fantastic I like George job. I thought he did a fabulous job yep. with uh, somebody to love, especially. Oh, yeah, that was that was an amazing performance. Crazy, yeah, it was fantastic. Really, and um, that's another case of a performer who knew how to control the audience, yeah, and bring the audience into it, and then feed off that audience because he, he does that in that. Yeah, if if you, if you watch the performance, you can listen to it. It's incredible to listen to. Yep. If you watch the record, if you watch the performance actually on stage, on video, mm-hmm. you can actually see there somebody who is, he knows how to lead. Yeah. He, he is an actual lead singer. He is a performer and he knows how to control that s- stage. He knows what's going on everywhere. Uh, and he knows how to build and, and everything because he really does build up that, that breakdown. Oh, it's so, completely, yeah. It's it's an incredible performance. Yeah. Um, um, my 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 big thing here is that um, Freddie Mercury will always be my favourite vocalist. Oh, okay. Of all yeah. time, yeah. 
Um, I, 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 I think that his range and his uh, frontman abilities, you know, because he wasn't the only singer in Queen. Mm. Roger and Brian both sang as well. Yep. But he was the frontman for Queen to me. Yes. He was that focal point that you've got there. He was the one who controlled the audience. I mean, he had a, he was a master at controlling the audience, you know, because you, you look, you look at, you look at Freddie with, um, with Live Aid mm. and, you know, you, you have this thing that with, the, with, with Wembley Stadium, you know, he's there and not all of those people are actually Queen. Queen fans. Yeah. Fans. Yeah, exactly such, right. You know, they, they have, they, you know, they, they probably like the songs that Queen have done, but they're not huge normal people that would go and not the normal crowd that would go and see Queen live. However, he has mastered that audience from the very moment he comes out onto that stage. He is the master of that stadium. Yeah. He is in charge of everybody there and they are doing everything based on him getting them to do it. So, you know, you'll get the claps and go on, join in and the join in. You know, yep. it's, it's almost like you can't help but do it because he's got a natural, uh, uh, the, the French would call it, je ne sais quoi, wouldn't yes. he? He's got a, he's got a thing Certain about thing, him that's yeah. just, uh, indefinable something quality. about him where you just, yes, you are attracted. It, it, it pulls you in. Yeah. You can't help but respond to that. It's, it's an incredible thing. And, and, you know, as, as good a singer and performer as uh, Adam Lambert is, he's um, not Freddie Mercury. Yeah, no. And and again, as good a job as George Michael did, and I really like George Michael, I thought he did a wonderful job with uh, Somebody to Love, uh, he's not Freddie Mercury. Yeah. No, no. I, I, st- I still remember I, I saw a Queen uh, documentary years ago called Magic Years, and uh, they, they said, uh, and they, they, they talked to Paul McCartney about it, and Paul McCartney said, um, he said, he just said, you know something? He says, Freddie Mercury, you don't get many like him. Something special about him, you know? And he says, you don't get many like him. And, and you just think, yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly. High praise too. So coming from Paul McCartney. So, mm. all right. Last question for you. And this is one I usually ask all my Canadian, I ask all my Canadian guests, but, but considering you're a rush fan, what are your opinions of okay. the tragically hip? I meant to look them up before I <laughs> before I did this show because I don't know who the tragically hip are. I've heard of them, but I don't know anything about them. Well, go on, you can you can you can teach me now. No, 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 that's fine because to be honest, um, when I did my first ever episode, is obviously Canadian because we were it was an ice hockey podcast that I was uh, re- um, talking to him about, and uh, we were talking about. I said, look. You're Canadian. You must be a big Rush fan because Rush was the only Canadian. Oh, not the only Canadian band I knew, but I knew Rush were from Canada, and I thought to myself, oh, they must be, you know, the number one prog rock sort of band in Canada. And since shout, then, shout out to Brian Adams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, Heart. Canadian. Yes, no, no. And I loved Heart. Heart was a, a I think, were a, a fantastic band uh, as well. Um, out yeah. of Canada. Um, but, uh, since then, whenever I've brought up Rush, all of my Canadian guests have been bigger, tragically hip fans. And, okay. and it's, they're not, 
a band that I knew anything about, nor have I've listened to some of their music since, but I'm still more of a Rush fan. And it seems to be that outside of Canada, especially in America, Rush were bigger than they were in Canada and tragically hip, or the tragically hip, yep. were bigger in Canada than, than elsewhere. An example being obviously that you're, you're a man who loves his music and you don't really, you haven't really listened to any of their music. <laughs> so, um, no. So, so yeah, so I'm just that was interesting. I just because I, you were a Rush fan, I, I did want to ask what your opinions were over the tra- tragically hip, but no, not a problem. Perfect. Okay. All right, we're we're done. I guess uh, if you want to tell everybody where you, they, you've can, got a hell of a job. <laughs> it's going to be a, quite an editing uh, experience. Um, it's nearly rivaling my longest uh, episode. I think uh, this might be a two parter. That's a good poem, can't you, Um So um, I have to get it in. Martin, thank you very much for coming onto the show. Uh, I guess we'll we'll finish it up here because I, I don't want to keep you up anymore. You're uh, you're a man that uh, does a lot of hours uh, for work, and I'm sure you've uh, got things to do. But I, I really appreciate you coming on uh, to the show. And if you want to let everyone know where they can contact you and listen to your show as well, that'd be great. Anyway, so pods like us, you can find the show basically anywhere you get podcast from. So, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcast. I have to remember it's called Apple Podcast now. It's not called iTunes. Um, and probably Amazon as well, I would have thought, and Stitcher. And anywhere you find podcasts, I'm bound to be there. And uh, an, an easy way to um, – so we've got pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter – so if you just look for Pods Like Us, in fact, on Instagram and on Twitter, it is at Pods Like Us and uh, Facebook have shortened versions. So if you look for Pods Like Us on Facebook, you'll find it on there. Um, you can also go to, here we go, themarvzone.org. And there's a, in the um, menu there, that's all things to do with me and weird stuff I do like, uh, I have like album reviews on there and some film reviews and stuff. And then there's a page on there that's, that take you to pods like us, note, show notes and things when I get around to it. Cause I've only done the first two seasons so far on there. They need to be updated. <laughs> uh, and the easiest way to contact us would be through, uh, Google mail, which is, um, pods like us at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, Marv, thank you very much once again for making the time. Uh, we, uh, we had a false start the first time we, uh, went to do this, but, uh, I'm glad we could, uh, organize a time to do it. I really appreciate you giving up, uh, so much of your time as well. As it turns out, it, uh, we're just about to hit the three and a half hour mark. So thank you very much again. Yep. And yeah, I, I guess we'll, uh, We'll leave it there. I'll be listening into uh, your shows uh, a lot more now that I've uh, things have stabilised for myself. And uh, anyone else that's out there that wants to get a, an idea of uh, what sort of shows they should be listening to uh, next, go and have a look at uh, Marv's Instagram page. It's uh, a great resource for you know some of the shows that he's listening to at the time. And usually, if he's listening to them, they're they're pretty good. And uh, if you want to listen to his show, you're going to get the insight into a, a lot of different podcasts. Uh, you know, Marv 
you probably listen to more podcasts than anyone I know, and I, I listen to a fair few myself. So, thank you very much. Thank you, Darren. I'm, I'm, I'll say the same about yourself as well. My um, guest list pod, I think that's brilliant. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Go when on. we can find three and a half to four hours, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do a swap cast, and you can come on to mine. Not a problem. Anytime. It'd be my pleasure. <laughs> All right, Marv. You stay well and. You have a great day, and I shall catch up with you on the socials. Okay. Take care. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, mate. Bye. So there you have it. Congratulations, and a huge thank you if you're still listening. Marv is a very interesting individual and has a wealth of musical knowledge. As we also saw, the fact that he is still a musician gives him an insight and appreciation of music that not all of us share. That's not necessarily a bad thing as such. Uh, What's the old saying? I might... I might not know art, but I know what I like. I think the same goes for music. However, it does give him the ability to appreciate music on another level. He compiled a great list of albums, and although I didn't include it in this show, he also had five also-rans that we chatted about for ages, which included some great choices. Marv continues to churn out great interviews on his show and generally support the indie podcaster space, so I encourage you to give him a listen. If you would like to offer up your own list of albums to take onto a desert island, then send them through. Email or message me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Good Pods, or Podchaser, whatever works for you. Also, if you would like to rate the show, hit my link tree and it will give you a link to everywhere you can rate and review the show and also provide you with the other important show details. Next week, we are back to a review and recommend show and it's one I am very excited to present. If you're new to podcasting or would like to expand your podcasting knowledge base, then this one is a must. Anyway, thanks again for listening, and as usual, I'll chat at you again next week. Next week.